All those comics, all the games, all those toys, all the TV, the animation. Just give us, just give us one hour and 45 minutes and we will give you everything more. Hello, Marvelites. Welcome to This Week in Marvel, episode number 309. As always, I am Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Marvel's Agent M, joined by... Ben Morse, joined by... Tucker Marcus. Oh, my God. Yeah. The team is together. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to do great things. Sure. We're going to party hardy, Marty. <laughs> um, so, what what's going on this week? I was just uh, doing out the podcast and panel schedule for New York Comic Con. Mm. It is robust. Yeah. Tucker's going to have plenty of work to do. Yeah. Uh, we'll see if he can step it up and not let us all down. <laughs> wow. Flashing um, back to fall 2015, New York Comic Con. What did you do wrong? Um, I probably, I, I, I recall going to Starbucks and, and maybe returning with like the wrong order for mm. Ryan once. Yep. That feels appropriate. <laughs> you probably got me like a chai latte and I would probably threw it at your face. The pain is seeping yeah. in. It yeah. burned. Yeah. yeah. Burned bad. Yeah, no, we've been working on that. Uh, we're getting all prepped and psyched for New York Comic Con. I don't know. What have, what have you been up to? Um, seeing some cool stuff for a lot of our upcoming things on television and yep. movies. A lot of secret stuff. I was in uh, Los Angeles last week. And got to see a cool talk at Disneyland or Disney California Adventure with science and superheroes. Our friend and yours, Steve Wacker, mm, was on a panel with good man. an astrophysicist, two Imagineers, and a freaking astronaut. A legit dude who spent a long time in space. <laughs> so Steve was Wacker great. was just right. He belonged right there. Yeah. Uh, Steve was so good on the panel. <laughs> I love Steve. Uh, we got to see some cool stuff and hear about science and superheroes. Um, I got to ride the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Monsters it, After ha- Dark. Yeah, the Halloween yep. is up. Nice. Yep, it's up right now. Uh, it was neat. It has a has some stuff that uh, changes from the regular version. So if you get a chance to go and see it and give it a give it a ride. Yep, my brother in law and sister in law are going um, in the next couple of weeks. They're gonna definitely check it out. I've, cool. I've warned them that's something they're going to want to look at. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then I had some meetings about some cool things. Mm-hmm. Can't really talk about mm-hmm. yet. Uh, and then I went to Portland for an episode of Thwip, the big Marvel show. James and I uh, got to like play around on the set for Marvel Universe Live. Nice. He got on stilts. What? He fell on me. <laughs> uh, I, but how, I was so strong. I, car- you, I, you I caught him. him. Yes. Nice. Very uh, nice. And, you know, I, I was like, I will not let you die yeah. on these two. <laughs> like, they were like two or three feet high. Yeah. But that's still. Why were you not on stilts? Uh, I was doing other stuff when they were okay. figuring out the that's stilts. Fair. So <laughs> I was playing with, with sticks with one of the, sure. uh, the women who's in the show. Makes sense. All the people there are so fit. And so athletic and so, like, able to do, like, triple flips while drinking coffee and not mm, spilling any of it. Nice. They're amazing. <laughs> uh, so that show was a lot of fun. The kids there lost their minds. If you guys get a chance, go to MarvelUniverseLive.com. Check that out. Cause, and if you have the children, mm. they are going to have such a good time. Like, it was just fun. 
seeing our younger fans so engulfed in in the heroes and the story uh, it was it was really great it was, it was inspirational it was like it got me jazzed um but we also got this really cool tweet this past weekend from charis croft uh shout out to her she got married Yay. and a while ago uh, a while ago we were talking about we probably had jeremy whitley on or mm-hmm. we were talking about uh the unstoppable wasp yep. and what Oh, I thought you were going to say something. We were talking about Unstoppable Wasp and how cool it was with the scientists and all the back matter and and girl and all the the all the many things that we loved about it. Mm-hmm. Well, Charis and her then fiance now uh, wife, they were they, they are scientists and or of some sort. Um, and so Charis said, "Would it be cool to get the issues of Unstoppable Wasp and have them for the wedding?" And we were like. Yes, totally. You should do it. So she let us know that they uh, they took their they took our advice. Mm-hmm. Uh, hashtag marvelous wedding. Hashtag science girls. Great picture. Yeah, it's a it's really a great, great picture. picture. Um, I did. I, I'll be honest. I did a little snooping yeah. uh, and looked at some of the other photos that Charis posted from the hashtag marvelous wedding. Yeah. Uh, and she and T just had like the best time it seemed like so we also had some tweets in here so Charis said you know hey all let you know we took your advice uh jeremy whitley says honestly the fact that two of our science ladies share a romantic dance in the last issue makes this sort of perfect mm-hmm. which yep. definitely does so that was a great moment right at the end of unstoppable wasp Charis uh, added a couple more things Saying, just heard on the pod that the series is finishing. Going to try and get together all eight for the wedding. Missed though. the crying emoji. And, oh yeah, there was definitely a crying <laughs> emoji. A crying emoji. Uh, some of the, I don't know if these are in the right order. Uh, okay. Oh, I see. At the top was Charis's first odd question for you. I'm having a light, lightly marvelly wedding with mm-hmm. guests and kids who aren't fans. Want to have some books? recommendations i said moon girl and devil dinosaur unstoppable wasp all new guardians dr strange and sorcerer supreme charis went and hunted them down thank you i was reading them out of order because i was looking at the photo maggie is like she's like you're an idiot uh you should have read this look the right at way. the look at the extra facts that maggie looked up she did some research yeah aka stalking yep uh so yeah maggie our intern did great work she stalked for us uh says charis and t were married so on september 23rd uh they had a they had marvel funkos as part of their beautifully crafted centerpieces which charis made i charis if i am saying your name incorrectly yeah i'm sorry wow you know we blew it is That's it charis Charis? Charis? I think it's Charis. Let's stick with Charis for now. Sure. And uh, deal with the fallout later. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, There were character names on their play settings, like Black Widow. Uh, Yeah, I saw some of the photos that were posted, and it just looked really cool. Uh, And it made me happy to see that our characters can be so involved in such an important and beautiful day for people that it was great. I loved it. Absolutely. Made me happy. I think it made us all happy. So Mazel Tov to Charis and T. Congratulations. Uh, Beautiful wedding. Beautiful life. Absolutely. I'm happy to be married. Absolutely. I love being married. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty. It's It's, it's been pretty good. How many many years has it been? uh, Yeah, we've been married eight years. Same for me because we got married like weeks apart apart from each other. (laughs) Not to each other. Not to each other. No. Could have. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Not at all. Also, that would have, if, I mean, that's a weird clarification because then, like, one of you got married, would have had to have gotten married to the other one, and then three weeks later, the other one. Stop pointing out holes in the logic. (laughs) Yeah. Such a buzzkill. Guys, guys, what's it like? 
Being married? I'm an, un, I'm an unmarried person. Yeah. I'm a just a young chap, bright-eyed. <laughs> I, what's what's it like? Uh, you have someone to talk to whenever Ooh. you want, or not talk to. I, I love that scene in Best in Show <laughs> where it's the the older woman, the the older man, like the elderly guy, is yeah, married yeah. to the to the younger yeah, woman, yeah. and she's like, "We can talk or not talk <laughs> for hours at a time," which is a great joke in Best in Show. Mm-hmm. But it's so true. It's so true because there's Absolutely. you don't. It's not uncomfortable. It's like I'll yeah. be there and like reading a comic or playing a game or whatever, and she'll be doing whatever she's doing, and it's just like. Cool. It's the one person you don't feel like this insane need to fill the silences with. Because yeah. the silences are just as beautiful as the talking moments. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, right? Yeah. Well, I have so much to look forward yeah. to. Yeah. <laughs> totally. It's yeah. going to be Get great. Get on it, Tucker. <laughs> yeah. I'll Lock let you guys it know. Down. Yeah. I'll keep you updated. <sighs> Thank you. Right. We appreciate Maggie, it. you're not married, correct? She's no. shaking her head no. Shaking her head no. Because she still doesn't have a microphone. Yeah. She put this together. She could have given herself a microphone. You're very upset about this. Yeah. Okay. Because she she does so much for the show. I know. She that, really does. And all the other interns have had microphones. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and she's arguably the best intern ever. Whoa. Definitely the best intern who's in this room right now. <laughs> exactly. Of the interns who are in this room, I think she's unquestionably the best yeah. of all time. Wow. Right. Ever. Wow. Wait, oh. What about including former interns? Uh, yeah, no, including absolutely. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, that. Maybe not though. Well, like like Alex Lopez. Alex Lopez was good. Lopez. Yeah, he would be yeah. the second best intern in the building right now. Fair, mm. yeah. fair. Chloe Wilson. Yep. Number three. Yep. Harry Goes, former intern. Harry Go, former intern. Yeah. I didn't That's even right. knew that. Going way back. Well, yeah. anyway. I love that our interns are just so plentiful. Former interns are plentiful throughout. Guys, Marvel. we have a lot of comics to get to. <laughs> uh, uh, let's, yeah, I was actually there. I was actually before we before we start. There was a moment. It was actually when we were interviewing Maggie, and I was interviewing Maggie with Tucker and Chloe, for the other two people interviewing with me. Mm-hmm. And it's just I had a moment where I was like, "Oh my God, they're both former interns, and they're now here, and we're interviewing a new intern, and the circle of life, and." Cats in the Cradle and the Silver Spoon. <laughs> Little it's Boy just, Blue mm. and the Man and the... Right? Yeah. That song? Yeah. It, all got very, it all got very emotional. <laughs> yeah, let's talk comics. Talking comics. Who's up first? I'll go. All right. Um, let's talk about Generations the Americas, number one, starring Sam Wilson, Captain America, and Steve Rogers, Captain America. This one was written by Nick Spencer. Beautiful art by Paul Renaud. Beautiful colors by Laura Martin. And in this, uh, it's another Generations one-shot get to see the framing sequence is sam wilson at the end of secret empire and then being taken back in time this is a little different than the other generations books Uh, the other generations books tended to focus on a moment in time between the two characters in this case sam wilson goes back in time and carves out a whole life for himself so he goes to world war ii as a soldier meets up with steve rogers um it's a different kind of steve rogers and um what i like is sam kind of makes himself like a proto falcon suit and i like the idea that sam Wherever he is, no matter what time he's in, he can always find a way to make wings and fly. <laughs> well, he went back with the wings, right? Like, he got transported back. True, true. I, I think, think he, he was got transported wings. back and then, like, painted them or, you know, made them fit the, the, the time period. The time that he needed. That's cool. He uh, He's basically a pro superhero to the point where Steve, who is very nervous, he's new as Captain America, actually looks up to Sam as, oh, my God, here's this guy who came in. He's, he's a hero. He's inspiring to his whole platoon and everything so sam gives steve a nice little pep talk and then uh they they fight together a few more times and then 
Steve gets frozen in suspended animation, as as we know, and Sam just keeps on going. He starts a family. I was not expecting I I, this, this, this took, twist at all. This took me on a, a, a ride I was not expecting to go on yeah. at all. It's Sam like starts a family. He becomes a preacher, as has been kind of alluded to in his comic. Um, he gets involved in the civil rights struggle. He grows older. Um, and he meets back up with Steve when Steve comes out of suspended animation. So we get more great stuff with Sam as just this veteran who's, again, was an inspiration to Steve. Um, everything happens. Civil War happens. Steve comes and, like, when he's at his lowest, when he, you know, loses faith because of the original Secret Empire and all that, he comes to Sam to kind of help him get through. They pray together. Uh, Sam eventually sees Falcon him introduced which was interesting. So there's two Sam Wilsons. Um, and, and obviously Sam, our Sam has gone by a different name, yep. different identity, has taken on this persona, living this life like basically like, all right, I'm out of time. I'm out of my time. I'm going to do something, yeah. you know, and like roll with it. it and see what happens. Yeah, and make the best of it. Civil War, Death of Captain America, The Return, everything else. And then eventually we call, we catch up with uh, when he's old Steve Rogers, when he's uh, in the in the super soldier outfit right before everything went down. Sam talks to him again. Uh, Sam gets to kind of influence him, like, picking Sam as his successor, which it all gets a little confusing, but it's fun. Just let it, let it be. And then um, Sam grows old. He fades away. And... Right as he's ready to go away, he finds himself back in the present, being interrogated. Uh, they want to know where Kobik is. He's not telling them. This kind of serves as a coda to the entire Generations thing. We get to see all the legacy characters together talking. And then we um, get a nice little moment between Jane Foster, Thor, and Sam Wilson, Captain America. And then Sam basically gives the, uh, gives the shield back to Steve, passes back out to him and says... Dear Steve, when you handed me the shield, you said you had a mission for me. Now I've got one for you. You're going to overcome this. Keeps going. Basically inspires him that one last time. This comic is just like exhibit A on why Sam Wilson, whether he's Captain America, whether he's Falcon, whether he's dude with wings in World War II, he's just a great character, stands alone by himself. Nick Spencer has done tremendous work with his character. This is Nick's farewell to the character because obviously... Um, it's going to be continue. He's going to be continuing on in the Falcon series, which is going to be by a different creative team, not involving Nick. So Nick really gets to say goodbye and to all he has uh, done. Falcon's going to be by Rodney Barnes and Joshua Casera and Rochelle Rosenberg hmm. uh, coming out in October. Cool. But I just I love this. I loved all the generations one shots, and I thought this one was it was special. Yeah. Um, it really made you feel like like you're talking about. It was not stuff you were expecting to feel. You ended up feeling it anyways. Yeah. Um, it was it was very poignant. It was very inspirational. And it was just very good. And uh, Paul Renaud is a guy who does covers for us frequently, but doesn't do a lot of interior art. I really enjoyed his interior art. I think it put a really nice emotional capper on the whole thing and really brought everything to life. It's it's not necessarily the flashiest story always because we have panels of Sam just living his life, preaching to his congregation, um, growing old with his wife and kids. And... Paul just made you feel all those moments. It was great stuff. Yeah. I um, I got one of those VR headsets, like a, sort of a basic one, the Google Daydream. Look at you living in the future. I know. <laughs> oh. And I was playing around with it, and it, it it was like, hey, do you want to watch a movie? I was like, sure. What kind of movies? Why not? <laughs> and then it had uh, 
Captain America the Winter Soldier. Mm. So I started to watch it in the headset. Mm. And just that, like, the Sam and Steve stuff right in those first couple minutes, I was like, oh. It's dynamic, man. It's great. So good. Yeah. They are such a great duo. Absolutely. Dynamic duo. <laughs> if you will. You're so proud of yourself. You know? And I'm proud of you, too. Thanks. Uh, we've got one more Generations book, though. We probably uh, should have let you go first. Yep, I was thinking about yep, that. We blew it. Such is life. Yeah. And it's Generations of the Spiders by Brian Michael Bendis, Ramon Perez, and colors by Msessisk. Have you seen M-S-A-S-S-Y-K? Msess. Well, anyway, <laughs> it's colors. It's great. Um, and, and, of course... We got Ramon Perez drawing mm-hmm. a cool Beautiful. story. So the generations, you get Miles Morales teleported into the past. Good job. And, and thanks. <laughs> uh, it's great. He wakes up in the past. He's like, wait, what is going on? He's got this weird outfit on with his vest and his tie. Like, do people wear these ties? I love it. Yeah. Is yeah. That a, I want to wear that tie. That was, wear that that tie was how people day. did things back in the day. Yeah, but he's got his Spider-Man costume underneath it, and he... He steps out of a bathroom because he's transported into a bathroom. He steps out of the bathroom and finds himself in, uh, I think it's essentially Empire, Empire State, State University, University, where Peter is going to college along with some of his other, you know, classic versions of his supporting cast. And you've got Miles here. He runs into Peter Parker. Club clumsy, always in a rush. Uh, everything's going wrong, Peter Parker. And they have this great, like, interaction. Uh, Miles is like, hey. It's me, Peter. And uh, Peter's like, hello, Miles Morales. Listen, I'd love to stay. I don't know who you are, blah, blah, blah. But there's great stuff. Miles sticks up for Peter when his friends are being jerks to him. Yeah, and it really back. highlighted how much jerks Peter's friends were. Yeah. These are the people who were supposed to be nice to him. And the minute he walks away, they're just bagging on him. Yeah. Um, Poor Peter. And this is like, they're, Brian and Ramon do a really great job of, getting you into the mindset of who Peter Parker is at this time in his life. Mm-hmm. He's like trying to balance a million things. His wife, his wife, his aunt is super sick. Yeah. Uh, he's trying to make money. He's trying to be Spider-Man. He's trying to go to school. He's trying to do all these things in the midst of, well, he's still got all these supervillains and crap to deal with. Uh, and he and my, he's trying to chase miles and get some idea of what's going on. Uh, there's just this, this, two-page sequence where he chases down Miles, gets on a rooftop, sees Miles swing away. He looks at him, and then he just put his head his head in his hands, and it's it was, like, such a heartbreaking moment to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was like, man, poor Peter this time. But then we flip over, we see, all right, Miles realizes he's in the past, and he, needs to see, he wants to see, like, all right, am I here? Mm-hmm. What's going on? And he goes, and he sees little kid versions of him and, Gunky, so great. Meeting for the first time and their moms, and it's the most adorable. It's so adorable. Also, uh, Miles's mom is sees like this, you know, nineteen, twenty year old guy just watching her kid, her kids, and yeah. she she's like, "You should keep walking." Yeah, you know, do what I are to, you doing? Someone I need to call, like the police. Yeah, and he's like, yeah, "It's just, it's so good." Yeah. Um, Miles, very smart dude, starts to you know. Figure it out, trying to put it all together, figure out what's going on. There's no supervillain no, in this no. issue. It's really all about the interaction between Miles and Peter. And you've got Peter 
struggling, 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 struggling. And he just takes a breather. He's sitting down at his house. He's frustrated. He's upset. And we'll learn, you know, why some of the reasons in a second. But then Miles comes and creeps up and starts to talk to him. And and he creeps. He definitely creeps. Yeah. Uh, and he's like, he's like, look, we know each other. I'm Spider-Man too. And Peter's like, whoa, okay, fine. I'm going along with this. <laughs> I've like, whatever. They have this great talk. Uh, and then Peter, you know, Peter's like, I've, it's been a really weird, difficult night um, and comes to set this right after one of the most pivotal moments in, what is that, like the first four years of Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the moment and sort of they took it and used it in Spider-Man Homecoming uh, that where Peter is dealing with all this stuff. He's trying to get, I think he's trying to get medicine for Aunt May. For Aunt May yeah. uh, he's, he had battled Dr. Octopus in the comics and Doc Ock knocks like a building down on him and Peter has to just go to his core and and push and push and push in order to stay alive. It was and cool save the day. seeing Ramon Perez draw one of the most like quintessential Spider-Man moments in history. The original version of this is so well known um, of Spidey basically being crushed under the weight of a building and forcing his way up. I mean, it's it's honestly the reason the moment works so well is because it's a reason it's a moment visually that defines Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. He is the underdog who's literally has an entire building worth of problems to deal with, but he continues to push on. That's like, it defines him. Love seeing that. Love seeing Ramon draw it. Yeah. Sorry. The floor is yours. No, it's okay. <laughs> I, just this conversation between miles and Peter is so good. There's this moment where Peter's, you know, uh, like my spider sense doesn't go off around you and Miles is like because you're not in danger mm-hmm. uh, and it's just like there's just they have this rapport even though this is a Peter who has no idea who Miles is mm-hmm. and Miles looks up to Peter in such a like a, like a mentor way uh, but he's looking at what is essentially his peer here it's it's really great um, and you know Peter's like super upset he's like I thought I was done I, th- I thought I'm going to die tonight mm-hmm. and it's just you know he's just feeling it and i think brian and ramon and colorist mrs uh do such a great job and there's this you know peter's waiting to hear this news Mm -hmm. on top of surviving this craziness he's incredibly worried about you know one of the most important people in his life uh and like there's that there's the emotional toll that is being taken on him and it's it's great uh they they finally get some resolution. They start laughing, joking, and talking, teasing, and it's a great story. It's a great bit for for Miles to remind himself of who he is, but who Peter is, and where Peter's coming from, and all the things that he's doing. And it's it's really neat. It's um, That's it was a beautiful it was great. Last page, yeah, too. beautiful last page. Uh, is you know Ramon Perez channeling Steve Ditko, and it is a very well done talky talky emotional issue mm-hmm. Ben you had an issue that took place in the past Ryan you had an issue that took place in the past just... and ladies and gents I'm going a long time ago as well in a Would... galaxy far far away I was, was going to ask if you were going to go in a galaxy fact, far far away how's, how's as our that? resident Star Wars <laughs> expert yep. uh, I have Star Wars Jedi of the Republic number two uh, uh, Mace Windu uh, issue number two and we pick up on the planet Hisrike, 
uh, or his I like rich. When, I like when Tucker pronounces planets from Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, it's a unique joy. Yes. Th- well, thank you so much. And as you'll recall, uh, Mace is there to take take out a separatist outpost along with Jedi Knights Kit, Kit Fisto, Prosit Dibs, and Rissa Mano. Uh, we saw him. We saw at the end of the last issue the introduction of the badass mercenary droid ADW4. Mm. We pick up with the Jedi in this subterranean cave where uh, they're in conversation about uh, the, the droids that they just took out and hoping that the uh, the Separatists don't find out so quickly that they're there, that their cover is blown too quickly. And they come across this subterranean city that's inhabited by these kind of insectoid, cool uh, Star Wars aliens... And when they're down there, uh, one of the uh, one of his fellow Jedi, uh, uh, they kind of peer down to uh, the ground level of the city. Uh, cut to <laughs> screen wipe, uh, probably likely to uh, ADW four, who's uh, uh, who's speaking with. Uh, Sounds like some of his. 40. Yeah, right. I think about that every time I read it. I love it. Every yeah. time you read yeah. it. How many times have you read it? Uh, I've read both issues number one and two at least a, a baker's dozen okay. times. Wow. Yes, it's a lot. <laughs> uh, as the we cut back to the Jedi and big old boom, the subterranean city starts. It's to... Dennis Cowan art, right? Mm-hmm. Ah, sure is. So good. That's right. Oh, I forgot to uh, mention the creative team on this. It's Matt Owens is the writer. Dennis Cowan is is on pencils. Mm-hmm. Uh, Roberto Poggi is uh, inks. Uh, anyway, the... Google effects on colors. Gotta right. represent the colors, man. Yeah. Colors I love them. It. It's all a big... It's, it's a big tapestry that only yeah. comes together when all the pieces are working. And well the... Mm-hmm. And... As the sub the, the the cave kind of starts crumbling down through uh, this hole into the planet uh, comes uh, the droid army, Mace, purple saber out immediately, and he goes head to head with ADW four. Is he uh, the only one who has a purple lightsaber? Yes, Anyone as a matter of fact, he is. Hmm. Interesting Why? fact. Why? Yeah, and it, it really is this simple. Go on. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson, because he was in Attack of the Clones, is the first time you see the Purple Saber, and there are a lot of huge, massive, like the Geonosis battle, and there's giant fight scenes. Of course, Ben knows very well. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson literally just wanted a lightsaber so that he could pick himself out on screen. Mm. And it's that simple. I love that. (laughs) That's what he wanted. And they gave it to him because he freaking deserved it. Because he's Samuel Samuel L. Jackson. Jackson. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so ADW4 and Mace are having this huge battle. Uh, uh, they have some kind of interesting back and forth as they're fighting. Mace gets tossed off a cliff and he's falling to what might be his death. And then right at the last second, Kit Fisto, the asparagus alien uh, hybrid, stops him, uses the force to... He's not uh, really an <laughs> asparagus alien hybrid, Tucker. Ben... It is well documented that your Star Wars knowledge is is wow. He's, he's got you there, man. Yeah, Come I guess so. so I mean, look, you may be right, but you may be crazy. Might, you, uh, <laughs> Billy Joel. Uh, anyway, so the Jedi uh, continue to try to escape the subterranean cave as it continues to crumble. They leap out back to the surface of the planet where they find these massive 
uh, kind of harvesting droids that are harvesting some of the the flora of the planet to harness their 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 energy. They take out a couple uh, while they can, but they realize that uh, uh, there are many many more to come, mm. and uh, mm. it ends on an ominous note, not ominous. just for the Jedi but for the planet as a whole. I like that the uh, the what are the regular the, the regular droids there called? Do they have any robots? Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. the you know the battle tri- droids the battle droids yeah um, they retain their like idiot sense of humor completely yep. and it I like it a lot yeah. in this book <laughs> yes. whereas I think you're making the, the most disgusting I know. face <laughs> I like it a lot in this book whereas I don't know that I loved it in the movies it? right. Do you feel bad about liking it? I guess so, because I wasn't expecting like their stupid jokes. Yeah. <laughs> they work so well on the page. Yeah, that's great. I agree. Yeah, really. And if funny we're talking book. about working well on a page, we've got to be talking about Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur number twenty-three, written by Brandon Montclair, art by Natasha Bustos, colors by Tamara Bonvillain. We open on the Doombot talking to the Lunella bots. It's great because the Lunella bots are starting to say like, hey, once the real Lunella gets back, what's going to happen to us? Like they're aware and I cannot wait to see what happens. Like that has got me so primed. But we cut immediately um, to deep space where Ego and Illa have finally been reunited. This one made me just teared up a little. Because it's kind of you're now a father. Yes, of a Yes, because I'm now a father of a daughter. Uh, it, was Fine. A little, it was a little bit, a uh, little bit teary for me. Um, it's so funny. Ever since we had uh, our daughter Hazel, Megan, my wife, has completely flipped. Like we watched, we were watching the Goldbergs. Do you watch that? Oh yeah. Okay, so we're watching the Goldbergs. I'm a big fan. Love the Goldbergs. Um, new season started this week, right? Yeah, new season we watched it on Hulu. That's yeah, funny. we watched it on Hulu as well. Okay. Um, so we're watching that and. Whereas a few months ago, Megan would have taken the side of the kids being like, Mom, stop being so clingy, uh-huh. blah, blah, blah. Now she's like devastated when the kids are mean <laughs> to the mom. She's like, and she like looks at our daughter. She's like, you'll never do that to me, will you? I'll always be. And I can see her morphing into. Oh, yeah. uh, oh, it's, it's horrific. Um, anyways, it's all good. Uh, but I do like the scenes between. You need to watch Blackish then. I know. The, the, mm. the, the interaction between the parents and the kids. Yeah. So good. Oh, we do need to watch Blackish. We've never watched it. It's oh my something gosh. we want to try. It's one of my favorites. Uh, I know you like it so much, so I, I hold it in high regard. Um, not high enough to actually watch it. Not high enough to right, actually Maggie? watch it. A lot of respect, though. A lot of respect. Um, so we get the stuff with Hill and Ego. I like how Ego basically feels bad that he was always facing away from his, uh, his daughter, Moon, and he admits that he was wrong, and they have a nice moment together. Uh, Lunella is just like, I love it. She yells back to business and she just marches back to her space time machine. Uh, she gets devil in there and she says a nice goodbye to ego and Illa and then heads back to the Valley of flame dinosaur world. She brings devil dinosaur home. And at this point I was just like, what is going on? Why is she doing this? And it turns out she wants devil to be back where he belongs back where he you know, needs to be, even though she knows she's going to miss him. And she does the whole classic, you know, like, get it, get going. I don't want to see you anymore. Like, pretending to be mad at him. Uh, she meets up with Moon Boy. She turns Devil over to him, basically is like, take care of him. And, yeah, and then she does the whole, like, yelling at him, like, trying to get him to go away. And then she goes back to the present. Uh, now, Sans Devil Dinosaur, just walking around. And she goes back to her lab. It's empty. 
just the juxtaposition of the ego and illa stuff with the lunella and devil stuff surprisingly emotional issue uh, this whole story with girl moon has been kind of like upbeat kind of funny good action adventure stuff but this one man this just made you feel and uh, it was a beautiful issue beautifully drawn as always by natasha busto she does a great job tom rabone villain always great on colors uh nice letters page with um lunella cosplayer posing chelsea with, oh that's chelsea yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah we know chelsea chelsea gets a nice little spotlight in there posing with uh brian stelfreeze and ta-nehisi coats from black panther at uh was that which comic I can't is that? tell. Yeah, you know? It might be New York. Oh, no, York it says NYCC, NYCC right there. So I don't know. Last year's New York Comic Con. Or some other event. Who and knows? next issue, uh, Moon Girl's going to get a new partner. Mm. What? Does the Mojo's book, in the there book? for some reason. <laughs> yeah. Does Mojo the and the, the X Babies. Does the name of the book change? We'll see. Ooh, what? You'll have to keep reading, Ryan Panagos. Wow. Well, on that note, uh, time for Nick Fury number six, written by James Robinson. Art by ACO. Um, Echo. Echo. No, it's just ACO. I know. Oh. <laughs> um, where are the. I want to make sure. I think Hugo Petrus, maybe? And Michelle Rosenberg? Where are them credits? Man. These, the, these credits. Yeah, in the Hugo Petrus and Michelle Rosenberg, because. Yeah. Whatever. There, I can't find the <laughs> credits page, but. There it is. Man, they do such a stylish version they do. of the credits. It's yeah. built Beautiful. into the story. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, yeah. Anyway, you were right. I was always right. <laughs> uh, but this is this is super cool. This is called uh, the Return to Ravenlock Ravenlock Castle Caper. Mm-hmm. I don't remember the original Ravenlock Castle Caper. It is, I it is it is an existing story. I, no, I assume. I know this just because uh, T.J. Deitch, yeah. who you know, I'm familiar with him. Um, I've held his children. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, he does a weekly column for us called Flashback Friday, mm-hmm. where he looks at an old story related to something that came out this week, and he this week is looking at the original, uh, the original Nick Fury story. Great. Which so you can is. find that on Marvel.com. Exactly. That's the nice little segue I was going to. If you like this Nick Fury story, which Ryan's about to wax poetic about, yep. you can learn more about the original tomorrow. Yeah. So for the last, the last six months, um, this has been one of my favorite books, yes. hands down. It's fun. Each story has been one and done, but the, it's all tied into this overarching uh, tale of Nick Fury and this Hydra agent and their cat and mouse mm. game. Uh, Nick Fury being super cool, super capable, and dealing with all the problems that Hydra throws at him. Uh, and this one, he gets brought back to Ravenlock uh, Castle to, you know, to deal with a death. Uh, some stuff that's going on. He's in Scotland. Scotland. Uh, uh, Hello. Yeah. Uh, uh, he meets up with Miss McGregor. Uh, and she says, <clears throat> Dina, can you mean? <laughs> Please call me Rachel. And of course, I'll help you. That's a good one. A worker may help too, for that matter. A man has been killed and answers must be gotten. That's my, uh, no, that's my really no, great yeah. Scottish accent. Notice how he, the Scottish accent is very different from the British accent. Yeah. Ryan, yeah. Does Hello. A, yeah. Ryan does a masterful job of Call between the me. two. Yeah. You know yeah. the face that Ryan was making when he was talking about the battle droid humor? Yeah. That's the one I was making. Great. great. Disgust. <laughs> it's, yeah, but like, re- like reverent that. disgust. Reverent disgust. <laughs> like, wow. This is upsetting, but I love it. <laughs> I worship how yeah. disgusted I am. Yeah, uh, it's great. So Nick Fury gets brought back. He there's, ob- like they talk a lot about the connections to the original f- 
story and caper and mission that brought uh, Nick Fury Sr. here. Mm. Uh, so you don't need to read the original story because I don't I don't know that I've ever read the original, but you don't I've need to read, read the original. original. Uh, you get pulled in, you get the details that you need, and you, you see what's going on. Um, and, you know, you get Nick Fury here, sort of like obviously hip to what's going on because there's some shenanigans. And it is beautifully drawn. It's so ominous and mm. creepy and cool and you know we've had he they mix in the the bright purples and pinks and greens and cool colors but really contrast it with the stark like desolation yeah. of this this you know, nice castle drawing fog everything is very foggy yeah. mm. like they do it just by fading the blacks in some places yeah. but it's really good yeah you know what else is good in this issue the lettering Oh yeah. Did we say who the letterer was? Uh, I think it's Travis Lanham. Yeah. Let's take a li- recall, let's take a little looky loo. If I recall correctly, uh, Travis Lanham. There yep. you go. Yeah, he superstar here because yeah, some really dynamite lettering, uh, sound effects, and really cool like just the got that that yeah uh, sound effect of Fury's little uh, wrist gun, uh, and there's this like hellhound that comes after Fury. And he's like, yeah, just as I thought, an LMD. And then he, you know, finds a secret passage and all this other stuff. And bing and a bang and a boom, it's a giant Hydra cave. Yep. You know, and of course, the Fury's like, yeah, I, I figured this all out. Yeah. I knew what was up. And then you've got this whole desolation above ground. And then you go below and it's bright and pop and really cool. Man, ACO's art with Rochelle's colors and Hugo's inks, it's just fantastic. And we, you know... Uh, we, f- you know, figure out that uh, Nick Fury, what he knew, uh, that the Rachel McGregor, I believe, yeah. uh, is actually Frankie Noble, agent of Hydra, who's been a thorn in his side the entire series. It's like his, you know, Scorpio or his, mm-hmm. uh, what's side patch? Baron Strucker. Baron Strucker yeah. or other... Notable Hydra agents. Yeah, from the 60s. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which is great. I think those were the two. Yeah, it fits so well. And I don't think Scorpio was Hydra, actually. No, he wasn't. He was, was, his, he was, was his own Nick thing. He was Nick Fury's He was. So you're, you get the point. Yep. Um, and it's just their cat and mouse game. She thinks she's won. She's been, you know, tripping him up all along. He thinks he's got the one up on her. It's just so good, so back and forth. And then we get big action and explosions and Nick Fury using gadgets and uh, Noble using gadgets and things exploding and crashing down and and ultimately you know stuff doesn't turn out the way exactly he wanted it to mm-hmm. but uh, Fury's like you know I'm happy I'm happy you know why I'm happy being here solving this doesn't happen often uh, this doesn't happen often what I'm feeling at the moment uh, I feel close to my father mm-hmm. we've got this really cool, cool beautiful last page by the team of this, you know, of our Nick Fury right now standing there and the older Nick Fury, like classic 60s style, the beautiful quaff of hair, mm-hmm. the eye patch, the cool 60s gun, the the shield outfit, like it's just dynamite. It, and it was really great. Bums me the hell out that mm-hmm. this is the last issue uh, of this series. But, it, man, this is a really dynamite six-issue series. Absolutely. If you have not read it yet, then uh, what's wrong? Yeah. What did you do? On? What's going on in It is life? so good. Next up, Ben, you read a book that had people's faces in it. Ryan, Ryan you read a book. I saw Nick Fury's face at the very least. Well, guess what, folks? 
This book is all about the face. That's right. It's The Punisher number 16, written by Becky Cloonan. It's not Art. the face, though. Yeah. It's, just face. Just face. it's just face. Well, in the <laughs> the canon of Marvel villains, I, I guess you could say he is the, the, the one who relies most on the noun face. I typeface. Remember typeface? Is that a Marvel villain? Yeah. yeah. Paul Jenkins created him. Yeah. Wow. Spectacular Spider-Man. Art by Matt Horak. Colors by Lee Lowridge. Uh, letters Written by, by Becky Cloonan. That's right. Uh, uh, we open up in hospital where a nurse is tending to uh, the man that we know to be uh, face. We don't not know the face. Then. We yeah. don't know then. We, we can only some, assume some guy who's just bandaged up. He could be anyone. He, he looks. Could be you. He, <gasps> what? Uh, he's kind of mummied up in his bandages. She gives him a quick little shot uh, to wake him up, and uh, she uh, turns her back for just a second, and then oh man, there is carnage all over the place. There are a couple cops who are standing outside the door who are told beforehand that they need to shoot to kill if this guy ever wakes up. They try their best. One of them uh, gets a needle right through the eye. The other one meets a not so great end as well. Can I, I want to shout out to Matt Horak and, mm. and the rest of the art team here because Matt, like, he's gotten better every issue and sure. he does this really cool, there's a sort of cartoon mm-hmm. cartooning animated almost tinge to it but also then you mix him with the realism and the mm-hmm. grizzly style friggin great yeah, yeah. Works uh, together. Uh, we cut to Frank who's dealing with some mafia uh, jerks near a bridge. I was gonna call him No Good Nicks. No Good Nicks. He's yeah. dealing with some No some Good Nicks. Mafioso. He Magia. took a few Ma- out. Yeah, they're Magia. <laughs> uh, he gets in his uh, hot rod because the, he hears an explosion at the hospital. There's an explosion at the hospital. <laughs> Let's go, boy. He's got uh, a dog in my mind. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, there's good. a great moment where, as Frank's driving away, uh, one of the one of the uh, gang members who he let live kind of gives him some tough talk now that Frank isn't holding a gun directly to his head and he says next time I see you you're blanking dead and from a hundred or so yards away from in a moving car in a moving car shooting behind him through the back window uh, he says sure pal and then boom headshot he shows up to (laughs) the uh, to the burning hospital where he comes face to face with that thing and uh, they uh, kind of engage in a little battle Frank uh, gets out his shotgun. The police show up, and they they kind of essentially see both Punisher and Face as the same kind of danger. They're going after them both. Face escapes to a, what is this kind of thing called? Tram? Like a tramway? Yeah, like a like a, what you saying? A gondola? A gondola? Isn't mm. the, isn't a gondola a thing that like in Venice? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. It's a it's a tram. Yeah. Okay. A tram. Uh, the only like the only point of reference I have for something like this, I'm not a skier, is Roosevelt Roosevelt Island. Yeah, the Roosevelt Island train. Anyway, uh, he, they he jumps up onto one, uh, continues fighting with face. Uh, Frank, uh, in a crucial moment, shoots one of the cables that uh, makes the the tram crash to the ground. Uh, he continues his pursuit of face where that and that takes him to a big time 
Times Square movie premiere where... Wait, before you get there, yeah. one of my favorite bits of Punisher dialogue that Becky has written in this series is here there's this uh, there's a guy with the messed up car and he's talking to the hot dog vendor. Punisher is like running by to deal with the stuff and he sees like the guy's talking about his messed up oh, yeah, car. Yeah, this is Read great. this dialogue. He says, uh, he says, my guy has a garage in Brooklyn. Tony's in Bensonhurst. Look him up. Tell him Frank sent you. He'll give you a deal. I <laughs> love that so it's much. Great. Well, because... Because the guy helps him out. Yeah. The guy yeah. points him in the direction of where Face yeah. is running to. So Frank's like, I'll help you out. Also, it is dude. so 100% New York. Yep. Yeah. 100%. I love it so much. Completely. He just figures, though, that Frank's got a guy. Of course <laughs> he's got a guy. I got a guy. <laughs> you got, everybody got a guy. Uh, and Frank continues his pursuit of Face to a Times Square movie premiere. Uh, of all places uh, where he's kind of hunting around Frank. There's a funny moment where he ends up on the red carpet. uh, And then uh, before you know it, uh, Face shows up on the big screen and challenges Frank to a duel to the death, uh, which we'll see in the next issue. Uh, It's funny you mentioned the New York thing because uh, I'm working, I'm actually right now working on an article for the site uh, an interview with Becky uh, that's kind of about the love letter to New York that this oh, cool. series kind of is in, in a lot it, of ways. It is, and, yeah. and we'll talk about that a little bit later when we get to Twim URC. I was going to say, if you want to hear much more Punisher talk, keep listening because we cover it in Twim URC. And also, if you want to hear a lot about Marvel Legacy Number 1, I talked to Tom Brevoort and Axel Alonso in our news section, but let's touch on it briefly because it was a big release this week. Uh, basically, Marvel Legacy number one came out. We don't even have the actual comic. We have a make ready. Yeah. <laughs> so they were so particular, yeah. they being publishing, that no one who gets you know their copies of comics got them ahead of time. Nope. We didn't get Legacy number one. Yep. I went to the to the editorial meeting yesterday, and uh, I Nick Nick Lowe asked around the table who has read Legacy number one, and like. Four people raised oh, their wow. hand, even amongst the, the editorial group, because yeah, they didn't get a copy. And uh, and I was like in the back, just the digital media guy was like, "I read it." Yeah, because we <laughs> stole one from exactly. PR. Yeah. yeah, thank you, PR. Uh, basically, Marvel Legacy Number One setting up this whole legacy initiative that we're doing. It starts way in the past, one million years ago. We get introduced to the prehistoric Avengers. It's really hard to thumb through this thing. Um, Because we're looking at a make-ready. Yeah. Which is, if you're not familiar, a make-ready is a version of a printed issue. Sometimes it's a comic or a magazine that uh, sort of has the color, uh, the what is it, the, like the color things on yeah, the, the side? Yeah, color references. Yeah, color mm-hmm. references and some other information, and it's it's used so to make sure everything's kosher. Yeah. We get to see a celestial fighting the prehistoric Avengers. It's all drawn by Asad Rivik. It's beautiful. Robbie Reyes wakes up in his hot rod. Uh, in pro- South, in, was in it South uh, Africa? Uh, or Australia? I can't remember where he is. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't look like this. I think it's South Africa. Yeah, I think yeah, he's mm-hmm. in Cape Town, South Africa. Yeah. Meets up with Starbrand. They have a big fight. Loki's up to some stuff in the realm of Frost Giants. I'm just going to bullet point this because yeah. I think that's the only way to cover it. Totally. Um, there's a shield storage facility. You talk about this guy? What's that guy? Looks like me. Is that you? Is that I was really excited. I was like, man, that could be me. Is that supposed to be he's you? Got, like, he's got a little mustache he's and got some mustache glasses, and glasses. On. I could wear a camouflage shirt. Want, that's, there's your Halloween costume. Yep. Congratulations. You are a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent guy. Yep. Um, And what's really cool is we get the big three, and I I talked to Tom about this. All right, we'll talk to Tom about this. 
time travel. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I will talk to Tom about this, is that this is the first time we've seen all three of them kind of together working as one. Jane Thor, Sam Cap, and Riri Ironheart. Um, you know, obviously Sam and Jane are together in the Avengers book. Uh, Riri is teamed up with all the Marvel heroes during Secret Empire. They may have, it's as Tom said, they may have been on a page together during Secret Empire, but this is the first time we like see them knowingly working together. Interacting, yeah. yeah. And then it uh, transitions to a page by Chris Somney where we see where Steve Rogers is at. A page by Russell Dowderman where we see where Odin's son is at. And then a page by, it's either David Marquez or Alex Malev. Um, probably, I think Alex Malev, uh, where we see what's going on with Tony Stark. Back yeah, to, these are little teasers yeah. to get you ready for what's going on in their legacy books. Yep. Back to the fight with Starbrand and Ghost Rider. It gets really, really nasty. Um, some stuff with Deadpool. Uh, Norman Osborn showing his face, Doctor Strange, Iron Fist being involved, a mystery uh, surrounding the Avengers, which if you keep listening, there's a big project coming up that Tom and Axel talk exclusively about on our podcast. So listen to that segment. Back to the big three, uh, doing the whole Avengers up there, trying to do the Avengers Assemble, but Riri screws it up. And then we get a tease of the thing in Human Torch. They're going to be doing their old thing. That's Jim Chung. Yep, Jim Chung art. Uh, and then I believe this is Daniel Acuna art. Looks like it. On the Intergalactic Empire of Wakanda, which, what? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then there's a Mayday call that the Hulk is um, the Hulk is back on Sakaar. We get that. We get the conclusion to the fight between Ghost Rider and Starbrand. Doesn't end well for Starbrand. More stuff with Celestials. Some guy driving a beer truck. Uh, hits a frost giant. Holy crap, look who it is. I like this truck that just says beer in giant letters <laughs> on the side. Yeah. Uh, Mike Diodato page with young Jean Grey up in Canada figuring out something that's gone on. Um, we see the return of somebody, and they get what looks like an Infinity Stone. An Infinity Stone? That brings us to the Guardians. Yep, the Guardians are up there. Which uh, is cool because the Guardians have been like dealing with some Infinity Stone stuff a lot in yep. all new Guardians, so it's tying that together. The Guardian stuff, there's Loki stuff, and then the whole big finish, we find out who's been narrating the issue, and it's awesome. Yeah. Um, writer of this this issue was Jason Aaron. Art was Asad Rabik with a big assist from Steve McNiven. Colors by Matt Wilson. There was some additional art by Chris Somney, Russell Dowderman, Alex Maleev, Ed McGinnis, Stuart Eminem with Wade Von Grawbadger, Pepe Larraz, Jim Chung, Daniel Acuna, Greg Landon, Jay Lyason, Mike Diodato Jr., and David Marquez. This was a massive issue. Mm-hmm. I don't even know what else to say about it. Yeah, and it's you know it's one of those things like definitely get it, hold on to it. When you start reading your legacy books or see the stories that are coming out, you can always like flip back and go, oh, yeah, that's what's that's going what we were on. About. Yeah. All right, let's do some quick hits. Uh, starting with Ben Riley, The Scarlet Spider, number eight, written by Peter David, art by Will Slimy, colors by Jason Keith and Andrew Crossley. Uh, ben Riley has a new lease on life. His face is looking all nice and handsome now because death freed him up. Him and the other Scarlet Spider, Kane, get into a little bit of a. Uh, shouting match. Then we see that Las Vegas is post-Secret Empire destroyed. And this is where Ben Riley is basing himself, so he's operating out of Las Vegas. Um, we see what he's up to. We see what Kane is up to. Hornet from The Slinger shows up. Oh, Why not? Your favorite. Yeah. Uh, we see Ben talking with this girl with this terminal illness that he's trying to cure. That's basically his mission statement right now is he's trying to get her better for her mom. Her mom is very happy with him. Um, we see that displayed. And uh, we see Hornet 
causing some problems. Scarlet Spider getting into a fight with him. Ben hearing a little more on the hero side of things here. He's uh, definitely a little more complex. And then another slinger shows up at the end of the issue to ask what the heck is going on. Sick abs, man. Sick abs. <laughs> yeah. Real sick. Uh, we've got, yeah, you want to go, Tom? Yeah, sure. Uh, I have Black Panther number 18, written by Tanahasi Coates, pencils by Chris Browse and Wilfredo Torres. Uh, we open up on a couple of uh, Black Panther's team who are searching for Bla- uh, uh, T'Challa's old friend, Asira, uh, and they do a great kind of honeypot scheme to get some info. They communicate. Honey pot Thank scheme. you so much. Uh, they communicate back with Black Panther, who is with. Uh, uh, who is with Storm, right? Aurora. Uh, and uh, no, Black Panther's with uh, Shuri. Oh, yes, 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 yes yeah. Uh, and they're kind of discovering this destroyed, destructed, desolate city uh, to on their way to get down to the bottom of this mystery. Meanwhile, they're there. Some crazy looking two headed beast monster guys come and move against T'Challa. Uh, and they take care of them, use some awesome uh, kind of. Uh, bird uh, flyaway maneuver that is really awesome. You're the best in the business. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, then, uh, you know, I the highs of the honeypot, the lows of the bird flyaway maneuver. Yeah. Uh, we cut back. Uh, the, the, there's this great moment when uh, they, they're sort of piecing together this whole thing, the, the thing that's been plaguing all the areas of Wakanda, and they're starting to get to this area where, like, oh, all these... Like these ancient things are mm-hmm. coming together, but then they, when they get to and Shuri and T'Challa figure out what's going on in this situation, they realize it's not the ancient thing that they were thinking of. It is a modern problem, mm-hmm. and the sense of dread mm-hmm. and like, like panic that goes through those last couple pages mm-hmm. when like T'Challa's like, get out of there. He's trying to contact yeah. the Dora Milaje to get out of there, or um, uh, they're. Kind of Dora Milaje. Midnight Angels. Yeah, the Midnight Angels uh, is like, get out of there immediately. You are in grave danger and you see what's going on. Mm-hmm. I loved it. That was a yeah. great reveal. It it makes the guy who shows up on the last page seem probably more important than he has ever seen ever. before. Mm-hmm. Ever. The biggest deal he has ever been. It was so good. That That's was true. like, that was, yeah, that was a, like, that made him. Mm. It was so good. Yeah. Masterful stuff. Uh, Cable number five, written by James Robinson, art by Ildare Sinar, and colors by Jesus Abertov. Uh, it's Cable versus Conquest, the brawl for it all. There's dinosaurs <laughs> eating, like, <Very> nice. <laughs> cowboys and army men. Like, Cable uses dinosaurs as a weapon. Mm-hmm. Probably my favorite thing I've said on this podcast in a long in a while, time. Yeah. It's so great. Uh, Cable has a way to combat uh, Conquest, who is, like, you know, your your not Kang guy who's yeah. time traveling and is <laughs> looking for this special time sword, but Cable one step ahead, two steps in front, and he's all around the place. It is fun. Deadpool kills the Marvel Universe again, number five, written by Cullen Bunn, pencils by Dalibor Talajik, inks by Goran Suzuka, colors by Miroslav Merva. Maggie, Maggie come on. <laughs> yeah, sure, man. Maggie's <laughs> chair is breaking before her eyes. Anyways, we've got uh, Deadpool uh, has now figured out the uh, villains have been manipulating him to kill all the heroes, so we get kind of a montage. It reminds me of, like, the Goodfellas montage, yeah. where you just see uh-huh. all the dead bodies. And it's just, I, don't know, I don't know if we have legal rights to that, 
I don't know if we have legal rights to that. Okay. Um, so we got Deadpool going around. He fights Carnage, which I know is a thing that Cullen Bunn loves to do is have Deadpool and Carnage fighting. Uh, he fights Batroc and Bear. He fights Bullseye. This is a very bloody, very uh, gory book. has a nice scene with Magneto um, where Magneto and Magneto kind of gets like a, a dignified exit. Um, and Deadpool continues onwards. He's going for the Red Skull. Red Skull's the guy he's trying to get to. Uh, he gets to the Red Skull. He takes out Taskmaster. He takes out Crossbones. Then you just get this incredible final fight between Deadpool and Red Skull. It's just grisly and just nasty stuff. Um, and really just a sad end to the whole Deadpool saga. Yeah, there's a darkness in Cullen Bunn. Oh, yeah. and <laughs> it needs to be investigated. Yeah, oh, it was like, it's a grim book. It was mm-hmm. real good. Uh, next up is Guardians of the Galaxy, the Telltale series, number three, written by Fred Van Lente, art by Salva Espin. Uh, we open up with uh, Star-Lord, who's being held at gunpoint by uh, Stakar and Martin X, and he makes his escape. He, tr- he finds his way via, uh, the, he c- creates a bunch of holograms of himself to get back to the Milano, where he meets up with the team. And the team has Cosmo, the dog, who is speaking in just some really hilarious and fun uh, uh, kind of Russian-accented, uh, uh, kind of broken English. Uh, he tells them uh, about this uh, treasure that they should go find, which just happens to be on Titan. And of course, Gamora doesn't like to hear that news given her history. Uh, they reach the planet. Gamora steps out of the ship, kills some dudes, makes them bleed some colorful blood. And then uh, the Blood Brothers at the end are eyeing up the Guardians for some violence to come. Yeah. All for Thanos. Uh, all right, uh, we've got I Am Groot number five, written by Christopher Hastings, art by Flaviano, colors by Marcio Menes, and this wraps up the story. We've got the uh, the the caretaker, I think is he, is that what he called? You've got the administrator, the administrator, yeah, yeah, yeah. all the hits, the the people, yeah, the administrator and the caretaker battling. Uh, People's memories are coming back. They're figuring out what's going on with the planet. We get a lot of insight into where Groot has been and how he can save the day. We got friggin' Shuma Garoth showing up. You've got a probably the most unexpected uh, villain appearance of the week. Yeah. Uh, and then you've got a giant-sized Groot and little Groot and all kinds of fun stuff and a, a neat way to take this story and sort of pluck Groot out and put him right back where he was. Yep. Bing and a bang and a boom. Bing bang boom. Infamous Iron Man number 12 written by Brian Michael Bendis art by Alex Maleev. Colors by Matt Hollingsworth. This is the final issue of Infamous Iron Man, which has been a treat. Uh, great Alex Maleev art. I know. There's some, this is a hard week for you, man. I know. I really feel for you. Uh, Doctor Strange teaming up with Doctor Doom to fight Mephisto, who is the big bad here. A chatty Mephisto. And fourth wall breaking, yeah. just sort of like, hey, let's have a chit chat, you and I. Like how, like how Mephisto does. But as Mephisto is just talking and talking and talking and talking, you get the great stuff with Strange and Doom teaming up. Of course, this harkens back to Doctor Strange, Doctor Doom, Triumph and Torment, which I believe we did a Tumi RC on. We sure did. Uh, we did a great one on that. And we've got strange using what mystic power he has left combined with doom's technological power to attack mephisto and try to take him down this is a big thing for doom this is pretty much his as much as reed richards is doom's ultimate villain in some ways mephisto is his ultimate villain uh we get some stuff at the end with doom and strange basically being 
you know, having a moment of detente. They're, they've got peace between them. The Thing is not happy. Doom deals with him. But, um, like, Doom, Doom's like, look, Doom does the nicest possible thing. I, so much, as much of a sorry as he can give, yeah. as much as an apology. I do like that uh, Sharon Carter, who representing S.H.I.E.L.D., is basically trying to clean things up. And Ghost is strange. Hey, seriously, was that the devil? <laughs> and Strange goes, is there any answer I could give you that would make you feel better about this? And she goes, that it was just some guy in a devil costume. <laughs> and he's just like, mm-hmm. pretty great. And then uh, Doom's back in action. He's going after the hordes of Hydra. Uh, the guys in jail are all deciding, all those supervillains who Doom took out, they're like, all right, that's it. We're getting back and then we get out of here. And Doom is done. Then Tony Stark's old flame Amara, who has been seen with Doom a little bit, uh, gets some big news to finish the issue, to finish the series. Doom will return in Invincible Iron Man number 593. Hot dog. Uh, next up is The Mighty Captain Marvel number 9, written by Margaret Stoll, uh, art by Rose Stein and Ted Brandt. And this issue is essentially about what happens when Carol Danvers tries to take a day off. And we open up with her and her BFF, Jessica Drew. Uh, BFFs. Yeah. With double I, Jessicas, Drew right. and Jones. Uh, <laughs> there's a great little moment that I just want to touch on where it says, Jessica Drew, a.k.a. Spider-Woman, Jessica Jones, a.k.a. Jessica Jones. Mm-hmm. And they're hanging out on top of uh, the Statue of Liberty. Then we cut to Jessica Jones's, uh, Jessica Drew's apartment with Wendy Ka- uh, Kawasaki and Monica Rambeau, a.k.a. Spectrum. They're playing poker. Uh, and essentially this is a, we keep getting this big contrast between what should be a relaxing time for Carol and her inner torment about everything that went on in Secret Empire and in, in uh, the, her Civil recent War II. in Civil War II. It's been a really rough couple of years for her. I want to talk about uh, Cloak and Dater, oh, the yeah. superhero <laughs> dating app that, that they was pretty. With. That was pretty ingenious. This is, there's a full page, like this wonderful page. I think this is might be the Rostein, some of the Rostein art, um, but it's Carol being put being told she needs to get on a dating app and she's on the superhero app and you've got Tony and Steve and Odinson mm. and T'Challa and Pete and it's great. <laughs> really great. Uh, we see uh, uh, the the quick montage of the dates that she might be going on uh, with those uh, various guys. Then we see her after, one of, after going bowling with her uh, buddies. She blasts off of Earth spends some alone time in space, thinks back to Secret Empire and everything that went down and thinks back specifically to Natasha Romanoff. And we end with her on the moon uh, thinking back and uh, looking towards an uncertain future. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. All right, we've got Mighty Thor, number 23. Very nearly would have been a pick for me uh, yeah, right up there. So freaking good. It's Battle of the Thors, mm. in he- or the War of the Thors, War of Thors. Thor War. Yeah, uh, written by Jason Aaron, art by Valeria Skiti, colors by Rain Barreto, and it's Thor versus War Thor right at the beginning here, and they War are Thor. going at it as intense. As only Thors can. Yeah. Uh, their battle is spilling over into Vanaheim and Niflheim and all the Heims. And, uh, thank you. Uh, there's just awesome moment where uh, Thor is, you know, taking it to War Thor and he's lost the hammer. And there's this moment where she has both hammers. This amazing splash yeah. page. Awesome I love page. it so much. Uh, and sh- the dialogue there is just so good. War Thor, this is where your war ends. And the 
lightning everywhere and friggin' great. It's so Badass. cool. Uh, and the but again, they keep fighting and fighting and fighting. And, you know, the fight spills across heaven and Svartalheim, and it's a cool way to show some things that are going on across the realms, and still that this this battle is intense. Uh, we get to see a little bit in Asgardia as. Uh, uh, Rosalind, Agent uh, Rosalind from Shield. She is talking with Thor, and there's the great bit Odinson. of dialogue. What's that? Odinson. Uh, yes, yeah, sorry, with Odinson, uh, and ultimately she is trying to get Thor off his tuchus and back in action. Odinson. Ah, damn it! Thank you, uh, Odinson. Back in action, uh, but we've got Thor and War Thor fighting, and Odinson shows up. There you go. Uh, thank you, and finally, and like. He knows that this is uh, Volstag, who has become the War Thor, which floors Thor. She, Jane Thor, is like, wait, that's impossible. The Volstag I know is kind and peaceful, and he's loving, and and he's such a a good person. This War Thor is a is not a monster. Yeah, uh, and she does what the only thing she can do to stop the fight is to appeal to Volstag as Jane. She she reverts back to Jane. And man, there's just this beautiful panel of the two of them. like Because they are good friends. Volstag yeah. has been with her through her cancer treatments and all this other stuff. They have been really close. Uh, it's heartbreaking stuff. Uh, but we are now marching on to uh, even bigger wars. We see Vanaheim and Niflheim in heaven and... Uh, of course, there's rocks on stuff, and uh, Svartalheim is moving, and of course, Malekith is making a big play. What a great villain Malekith's turned out to be. Yeah, he really... Wow. Uh, by the end, we know we're marching to Thor number 700. Yes, sir. Huge, huge, Very huge, exciting. huge, huge. Very exciting. Spider-Gwen number 24, written by Jason Latour. Art by Robbie Rodriguez, colors by Rico Renzi. Previously in Spider-Gwen, Harry Osborn is turning into a lizard monster. Matt Murdock is interfering with Gwen's life. Um, George Stacy has been beat up in jail. All this coalesces in uh, a place where Wolverine of this universe gets merged with the Venom symbiote of this universe. It's uh, very crazy. It results in a cool kind of samurai Venom Wolverine uh, Captain Stacy's back in the hospital. Matt Murdock is screwing around with Foggy Nelson. Spider-Gwen is trying to help Kitty Pride get the Venom symbiote off of Wolverine. She does succeed, but of course that means she bonds with her herself. She confronts Matt Murdock. We get this beautiful design of Gwenum, um, which is what we're calling Gwen Stacy Venom. Yeah. Uh, she confronts Matt Murdock. She finds out what's happened to her dad, and it's going to be trouble for a whole horde of people because Gwenum is now unleashed. Pop, pop. Uh, Thanos number 11, written by Jeff Lemire, art by Germán Peralta. Uh, we open up with Thanos and Thane, his son, who has uh, harnessed the Phoenix Force, uh, ready to do battle. They immediately get going, uh, and uh, uh, Nebula and Trico uh, are like, we need to get... Trico Slatteris? Oh, yes. You mean the, the champion? champion? We need to get the heck out of here. But, of course, there's not really any safe place to go when these two guys are going at it. Uh, uh, this, so, as you know, I love Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Z, and <laughs> yes, all those, you've mentioned my, my anime love. And uh, this fight is, like, 
it felt like I was, you know, it felt very Dragon Ball esque. Mm-hmm. Like, there's mm-hmm. this shot here of uh, with Thane blasting, and it's so cool. And then there's this knee. It was like, man, I would love to have this animated because this fight yeah. would be friggin' dope. They are destroying a planet in their battle. You know, yeah. great. Someday. Like cosmic fire and flame. They're continuing to go at it. Nebula and Trico are trying to get off the planet. Uh, they blast into space during their battle uh, and there's an awesome shot where Thane is thrown back onto the planet in this massive explosion He uh, uh, Thanos pumps him back up into space there's really great art in this issue throws him into an asteroid he comes back with the Phoenix Force at his dad and they land on another planet now ready for the reckoning uh, between these two as the conclusion awaits yeah. for this big battle. Yeah. Uh, Epic. Speaking of conclusions, wait, was that four or five? I can't remember. Was there five issues of this? This is the penultimate issue. Yeah. This is the penultimate. Did I already read? I read the last one. I guess <laughs> oh, I read man. that ahead of time. Yeah, you blew it. Oh, man. Then what happens here? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this one, we've got more of, oh, we're talking about Venomverse number four. Uh, written by Cullen Bunn and art by Ivan Coelho, colors by Matt Yaki. Uh, we've got giant-sized Ant Venom, and you've got Gwenpool, Poison, and Carnage is here, and it's madness and chaos and <laughs> Deadpool, and uh, the the Venoms are trying to figure out a way to stop the poisons. Uh, they're holding the Poison Gwenpool, uh, but the poisons have Venom Doctor Strange. The plans uh, that we thought were in motion were actually the poisons using Doctor Strange to bring Venoms more hosts, more power, and uh, it's it's a bad scene, and by the end, it looks like everything has run out for the Venoms. Finally, we've got X-Men Blue, number 12, written by Colin Bunn, art by Douglas Franchin. Got a few different things going on. We've got the... Core all-new X-Men, if we still call them the all-new X-Men, you know, the kids, uh, are fighting the Goblin Queen and her Hex-Men. They've been captured. Uh, one of the one of the Hex-Men turns, turns to the side of good and helps our heroes uh, save the day there. But also, in Arrow Ridge, Colorado, Jimmy Hudson, Angel, and their sheriff friend have encountered the Blob, who is out of control. Then he starts melting, and it's super Whoa, gross. Oh, so gross. Um, uh, back at the Hexmen battle, Gene and Scott recruit the local Madripoor heroes who they've been teaming up with. We get more with Blob turning into a big blob of grossness. Blob. Um, and, yeah, we get something cool with Beast. We get resolution to the Goblin Queen stuff, and we get a new member of the X-Men. Yeah. Surely that can't go wrong for them. <laughs> yeah. So the, those are the print issues also out this week. Uh, I had it on my phone, but now I got no reception no in here. No service in here. Yeah, but it's the Immortal Iron Fists uh, number four, I think. I can't pull it up, um, but it. I read it before I got in here. Yes, you did. Uh, it's the penultimate part of that story, I believe. A beautiful art by Afu Chan, and man, like, there's a. I, I screen capped one of the pages. Uh, there's, they have these shots of Iron Fist 
battling this giant demon that has sort of been behind all the, the craziness that's been going on. Uh, Danny Rand just turns into this giant flaming fist and Danny and Pei working together. Uh, some villains are revealed. Some crazy stuff happens with the children in the book. Uh, and a big twist happens by the end. I was not expecting next issues coming up. This is a comicsology uh, digital exclusive. So, or just... If you're not reading that or the Hulk and Thor book, you should be because they are fantastic. Yep. Collections on sale this week. We've got Blood Sun and the Legion of Monsters, Deadpool Classic Volume 19, Make War Not Love, Indestructible Hulk by Mark Wade, the complete collection, Occupy Avengers Volume 2, In Plain Sight, Runaways Volume 6, Parental Guidance, Spider-Man 2099 Volume 7, Back to Future Shock, love that, Spider-Man The Daily Bugle, Spider-Man Deadpool Volume 3, Itsy Bitsy, the Mighty Thor Omnibus Volume 3 in hardcover. Unbeatable Squirrel Girl Volume 6, Who Run the World, Squirrels. <laughs> Thor Epic Collection, The Wrath of Odin. And finally, Wolverine Old Man Logan Volume 5, Past Lives. Also on sale on the Marvel app this week, we have DP7, number 1 through 9. Iron Man, number 57 through 63. Marvel's Marvel Adventures Fantastic Four, 1 through 16. Digital collections on sale this week. We have uh, Captain Marvel Masterworks, Volume 3. Fantastic Four, Reunited They Stand. Iron Man Masterworks, Volume 7. And Submariner, Golden Age Masterworks, Volume 2. And freshly digitized on Marvel Unlimited this week, we've got Amazing Spider-Man, Renew Your Vows, number 5, Black Panther, number 12, Captain America, Steve Rogers, number 14, Daily Bugle, 1 through 3, from 1996, Elektra, number 2, Extraordinary X-Men, number 20, Fool Killer, number 5, a Ben Morse favorite, Gamora, number 4, Hulk, number 4, Invincible Iron Man, number 5, Iron Fist, Number one, Moon Girl and Devil, Devil Dinosaur, number 17, Prowler, number six, Spider-Gwen, number 18, Spider-Man 2099 meets Spider-Man, number one. I don't know that one at all. That was, that was 95. 1995. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Star Wars, Darth Maul, number two, The Unworthy Thor, number five, Ultimates 2, number five, Uncanny Inhumans, number 20. Wolverine from the original uh, full series, issues 97 through 100 and 133 through 144. 100's the one where he gets all mutated and loses his nose. Oh, is it really? <laughs> yeah. Oh. It's the one where he fights Genesis. And loses his nose and wears like a do-rag yep. for a while, yep. right? And hangs yep. out, Then he hangs out with Stick and Elektra yep. for a bunch? Good stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. Yep, classic stuff. Uh, Wolverine and the Punisher, damaging evidence from 1993, 1 through 3. All right, so that is the comics for this week, guys. For the rest of the show, we've got uh, some West Coast action. First, I talk to Tom Brevoort and Axel Alonzo about Marvel Legacy. We break some news there. Breaking news. So that's pretty exciting. And then we come back to Ryan and I talking about The Punisher. Welcome back, Frank. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah. Back, Frank. So there you go. Great. All right. And now, from Marvel headquarters, it's this week in Hey everybody, this is Ben Morse, This Week in Marvel. Uh, this is our news segment. We are getting the latest and greatest, and I can't imagine having two bigger pillars of the Marvel community in front of me than Editor-in-Chief Axel Alonzo. Well, thank you. <laughs> and Marvel Senior VP Executive Editor Tom Brevoort. How can any one podcast possibly contain both of us? Yeah, well, it's we have both of you guys here because we're talking about a big subject. Uh, Marvel Legacy number 1 came out this week. We reviewed it. We talked about it. Um, 
but that kicks off kind of the Marvel Legacy initiative. And I wanted to get straight from you guys, number one, what the mission statement is for this initiative. I mean, more than anything, I think the mission statement for Legacy was, you know, we're all comic fans because we were, were drawn into a story that just blew our minds. You know, it, 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 it hooked us. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are all in this business partly because of that, you know, uh, that love. We got a rich history. All of our fans, all of our editors feel the same way. So we said to our creators, look, you know, go back and find something from one of these old stories, some remnant of a story, an artifact, a character, a hook. Revisit that and look at it through new eyes. Introduce it to new readers. Come up with something new. You know, make it the one one of the, you know, excavate that gem and then make something new from it. Yeah. And that's exactly what they did across the line. Yeah. And Tom, you worked on the one shot. How does the one shot serve to kick off the initiative? Well, the one shot is a great 50 page yeah. uh, story unto Absolutely. itself. But within its pages, uh, it introduces and sets up a whole bunch of plot lines and storylines and characters and situations that are going to play out across the entirety of the Marvel line, not even just like immediately next week, mm-hmm. but over the course of the next couple of months and going into 2018, 2018. Yeah. 2018 is the next I, year. I, I remember yeah. which year I'm in now. <laughs> um, so it, it, does a, it does a lot of lifting, but it does kind of like set the stage and set the tone and give you a real good taste as to where things are going, uh, the kinds of stories that we're going to be telling, uh, and the fact that we're now kind of moving into the third act of this sort of larger three-act superstructure that we've been constructing over the past couple of years. Where, where, just to catch people up, what would you say the first two acts were of the? I think the first act would probably be in Marvel Now. Mm-hmm. We had this aggressive game of musical chairs, and we started from scratch with new creators, new new looks at the superheroes across the line. Um, act two, I think, sort of evolved naturally, which was a lot of creators took the clay, so to speak, and, and remolded it. Mm-hmm. You had Jason yeah. deciding that he had a great idea in which Thor would no longer be Thor. Jane Foster would be Thor. Rook Commander was writing Captain America at the time, wondered what would the world be like if Sam Wilson were to be Captain America. Right. Um, and it just sort of caught on. Um, right. We reached a point where we realized that we were onto something because we transformed the Marvel Universe. We, you know, I think at the end of the day, we made for interesting stories. Yeah. We brought new characters onto the board. But we always did this knowing that the return of the original characters, the classic characters, was inevitable. Mm-hmm. We needed to build to that moment and, and, and have a structured rollout for that. Mm. You know, I mean, we've had Wolverine off the board for like three years three now. Three years. So, you know, legacy is that moment. Legacy, one shot, as Tom said, it's a self-contained story. Um, every single page counts there because it hints at the return of some of your favorites. Right. Why were Jason and Assad? Um, obviously, there are a lot of artists that work on Legacy, <laughs> but Assad being the principal artist, why were right. these guys the right choice to well, kick this off? Well, they're good guys. Yeah, <laughs> salt of the earth. You know, um, Jason. Uh, you know, again, with no meaning, no uh, slight to any anybody else that's that's uh, working with us right now. Uh, you know, Jason is probably the best. Uh, uh, meat and potatoes writer that we've got, like his 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 instinctive sense of how to pace a, an issue, how to pace a scene, how to break a, a, a sequence down, uh, is just so good and so on the on the money, um, yeah. And so for a book that was this big and had so many moving parts, uh, you know, he kind of had the right brain to be able to juggle all of those different elements and have them come out kind of in the right proportions where. The story is still a story that you can read and enjoy and be excited by, even if you haven't really been reading Marvel books for the last couple of years. 
Um, you know, but he also was able to set up and touch on all of the different things that we needed, you know, all the various uh, dominoes that we needed to knock over in the course of the thing mm-hmm. to get things going. Uh, and then Assad is, you know, Assad is just Assad. Yeah, of course. Um, Force of nature. What needs to be yeah. said. <laughs> and he hadn't, you know, he hasn't really done a big project for us since the end of Secret Wars. Right. Uh, and so this seemed like a nice big place to put him back on the on the canvas in a big way and a place where he could contribute uh, in a meaningful fashion to what we had going on. All right, let's dig into the book itself a little bit. There's a ton going on. Like you guys said, there's a lot being set up and uh, touched upon, but I just want to touch upon a few key points. The first being the kind of prehistoric Avengers that we showed before the uh, book came out. They have kind of a crazy adventure here. Where are we going to see their story play out? Uh, well, you're going to see that, that their story play out in a bunch of different places. Really? Okay. Um, you know, uh, obviously the, the, the most immediate... Um, we already saw a little taste of it at the end of Generations Thor. Mm. Uh, would be in the Thor book that that Jason is writing. Um, you'll see some other stuff in in Avengers uh, over the next couple of months as well, and in a few places maybe you don't really expect to see them. Right. Um, although you know, again, maybe the lineup gives you some hints and some clues as to where you could see some some connective tissue. Um, but they're they're uh, they're the the tip of the iceberg of a really big story that's going to play out. You know, again, that's one of the longer ranging mm. uh, pieces that we've got here. Got it. Um, so it's not like that's going to come immediately to fruition in two or three months. That that that's a longer game being played there. Um, yeah, and that's another part of the reason that Jason was perfect for the one shots is a lot of the big ideas and concepts that will be at the center of the Marvel universe. Ideas that originated with him, yep. um, and you know the one million years BC Avengers is part of that. I think he's onto something with that. With yeah, this, absolutely, with this yeah. man. Cool as hell. Um, a character who has been around for a little while but took really a central role in here was Robbie Reyes. He's the character we follow through much of the story. He has his own plot. Why elevate him to this status? What do you guys see in Robbie Reyes that makes him a character worthy of elevation? Well, some of it, again, some of this is the choices that Jason makes sure. here. Jason's got, as is no surprise, a real fondness for Ghost Rider. Mm, you know, no one of the first yeah. series he did for us was Ghost Rider, uh, and he's gone back to that well a couple of times. I wouldn't let him use the orb mm. to be that character. For once. So it <laughs> had to, he, he had to go somewhere. Yeah. Um, Plus, like you know, Robbie having having just been on a full season of Shield, yeah, uh, you know, it's not like this book needs to elevate him. He's kind of already elevated. Sure, sure. Um, so, so putting him center stage and reiterating that even though like we're doing Spirits of Vengeance with the Johnny Blaze Ghost Rider, um, but uh, you know, Robbie Reyes' story and Gabe's story is is not finished Got it. and is a, an ongoing concern to us. Like the Legacy One Shot had to do two things at the same time. Uh, it had to say very clearly, hey, a bunch of the older characters that you that haven't been around for a while and that you miss are going to be coming back in a big way. But that doesn't mean all of the new, younger uh, legacy characters that have stepped up in their absence or taken on their mantles or what have you are going to be pushed by the wayside. And so, you know, Robbie being at the center of this is kind of a little you know, example of that. Like, right. he's not necessarily the obvious choice to be a, a lead player in a book like this. Um, but, uh, you know, th- again, there are, there are longer-range reasons why it's him, and uh, it does kind of get back to that idea of, yeah, this is not just the old dudes come back in and all the young kids go back out to the showers. Well, speaking of that point, something very cool that happens in this issue, and to best of my knowledge is the first time it's happened uh, to date, is we get all three of the new big three together working against a common enemy, that being... 
Cap, Sam Wilson, Thor, Jane Foster, and then Ironheart. Was this the first time they all teamed together? I think, I mean, they were all in Secret Empire. Yeah, and, and they, they, were, they may have all been on the same page And they're probably, point, they're, again, you can probably find a page or two that they were, all, they were yeah. all on. But, but not this felt just, different. Yeah, not just them. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is the first time that you get all three of them, uh, you know, in one place at one time. You yeah. know, uh, Cap, yeah, Sam, Cap, and Jane Thor have been together for months yep. in Avengers. Avengers. But Riri hasn't been a part of that team. Um, so it is kind of uh, you know this nice moment of here are here is sort of the 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 next generation. It felt really cool. It felt like a really cool moment, and I like how it transitioned right after that to touch upon where the older characters were mm-hmm. drawn by different artists. I thought that was really well done. So I it, it is possible transition. to love the older characters yeah. and the new characters yeah. at the same time. Tom, you know, makes a very important point here, which is that you know. Um, the big question we want you to ponder is what's the Marvel Universe going to be like now with mm. all of these characters coexisting? Can they coexist? Mm. And what does it mean for the new heroes yeah. um, to see the triumphant return of their, their counterparts? Yeah. We see Loki, and over the last few years, Loki's been kind of uh, an, an interesting figure in that he floats back and forth between good and evil. Was this a Loki who is definitely back 100% being the bad guy? I think this is Jason's Loki. This mm. is the Loki he's been writing recently in Thor. The Loki who's been been you know spinning his plans with Malekith uh, and with his his pop Luffy, um, and uh, yeah, exactly where that character exists on the good versus evil spectrum. I don't even know if Loki knows from mm-hmm. moment to moment. Right. Uh, you know, I, I think he's he's uh, you know playing the best hand of cards he has at any given moment and. You know, the next card the dealer turns up could completely change mm-hmm. where his allegiances fall based on what he thinks is best for him or whatever it is that he wants. Yeah. I want to quick hit a few characters basically saying why were they in the one shot and where can we expect to see more of them? Guys who showed up quickly. I want to start with Deadpool. Why was Deadpool actually had a huge arc in Secret Empire and yep. before Secret Empire? Yep. This is a guy who's been all the way up, all the way down, and now he's back kind of in the gutters and he got. You got a nice little spotlight in the pages of Marvel Legacy. Why was it important to get Deadpool? Yeah, the, in there? Uh, I, I let uh, I let uh, one or two people at the Baltimore convention read, oh, yeah. not all of, but most of uh, the Legacy one shot. I, okay. like, re- I like redacted the last like nine or ten pages. Nice, nice. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, every time, like the one or two people got to the Deadpool page, they cracked up. Like, mm-hmm. They really liked that that uh, that beat in that moment. Yep. Uh, and it's exactly what you say. Like Deadpool's been in. Kind, particularly for the last two or three years, in in sort of a weird place for Deadpool, in that he was a really popular hero and he was on the Avengers and he was much more embraced and 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 beloved. And uh, you know, we're now moving into a cycle of stories where, as tends to be the case with him, he's sort of uh, you know, despite his best efforts, shot himself in the foot, uh, almost literally. Yeah. And now literally. you know, now he's like the uh, you know, once again a a wanted and hunted man in the Marvel universe, beloved yep. by none. Uh, and so again, this kind of showcases that that transition from one state to another, Got it. Uh, and leads you immediately into the new Despicable Deadpool yeah. uh, legacy storyline. Yeah. yeah, and as we've said, the the comics best bromance is going to go through uh, a bit of a, a strain. Oh yeah, yeah, it's going to be a tough yeah. one. That's going to be a tough one to watch. But uh, moving along, we get a nice little scene with Iron Fist and Doctor Strange, and then I was surprised to see Norman Osborn show up but given what he's been involved with lately in the amazing spider-man the kind of villains quest that he's on i guess it did make sense that he would be around uh strange and that type of stuff anything you guys can say for norman osborne uh well obviously uh norman's a big 
player in the world of Spider-Man. There was just the issue that the, I don't remember the exact issue number mm-hmm. um, that just came out that really focused on him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think as as things ramp up towards the anniversary issue, uh, you can expect to see a lot more Norman in mm-hmm. the world of of Spider-Man. And that page is a nice hint towards that, while at the same time, you know, kind of pushing ahead the. Avengers uh, of uh, 1 million BC uh, mm. storyline and how that'll play out in the modern Marvel yeah. universe. So you get a lot of good value out of that page. Yeah, and obviously look for the, the gap between Iron Fist and Doctor Strange to narrow a little bit as well. I mean, nice. yeah. Iron Fist is Kung Fu plus mysticism. Yeah. Um, and Doctor Strange is 99% mysticism, 1% Kung Fu. As <laughs> right. Right. So, he's now yeah. a little yeah. more Kung Fu. Yeah. Yeah. He's, not using he's, the, be, he's not using the spells so true. much as he's using the yeah, big axe. And, 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 and 5% yeah. Conan the Barbarian with that axe. Yeah. There, yeah. 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 there we go. Uh, we get to quick glimpse of the Avengers statue. Something seems to be different about it. There seems to be a new I, figure on it. I don't, that's, know what you're, I don't know what you're no, talking about. That's, that's the way it's a, always been. That's the way it's always been. All right. We'll we'll keep the keep the cards close to our vest on that. I can talk about it. Yeah, we can talk about it. Yeah. I mean, for one thing, the yeah you know, the back cover of the lenticular, mm. uh, uh, you know, version of Legacy, you know, showcases that. And by the time this podcast comes out, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we'll have, we'll have talked more about uh, the fact that in uh, you know that's basically a tease for Avengers No Surrender, which mm-hmm. is our big weekly Avengers uh, brouhaha that'll start mm-hmm. in January and run for sixteen weeks over four months. Yikes! Um, so it's it basically takes the place of all of the ongoing Avengers titles mm-hmm. uh, and takes all of those characters and brings them together for the biggest, craziest, most epic adventure we could nice. uh, put together. Uh, the writers of all all three of those titles, Mark Wade, Jim Zub, and Al Ewing, uh, worked in concert and in tandem on every issue of this thing. Um, so it's a real group effort. and It kind of uh, puts a punctuation mark at the end of this particular cycle of Avengers stories. Nice. Nice. Some major stuff happens in that, in that yeah. story. Yeah, yes. yeah. There's, 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 again, there's stuff, you know, on the scale of the kind of things that we did in the Legacy one shot. Yeah. So that's one of the places where we'll be, we'll be doing some stuff. Cool, cool. Probably one of the most feel good moments of Legacy one shot is we get the Thing and Human Torch back together doing their thing, and we revealed that they're going to be starring in Marvel two and one. Is there anything you guys want to say about that particular? I want to say, I want to say, because we keep screwing this up ourselves. Oh, oh, oh. It's Marvel 2 in one with yeah. a number 2, not the word 2. Oh. Mm-hmm. I keep correcting that and people keep putting Who it back keeps, the other way. Up? Well, I think it's it's natural like the book of okay. the 70s was too written out, but yeah. uh, you know, we're really trying to steer into the fact that this is the legacy book for those characters and for Fantastic 4. And so yeah. that yeah. 2 in a circle is has know, kind of an import, yeah, has real sure. significance. Uh, and that's yeah, that's really the place uh, to get your Fantastic Four fix moving mm-hmm. ahead. The first arc in that book is the fate of the four, and uh, you know one of the, the the plot lines that are that it's involved with is you know Ben and Johnny kind of thinking maybe there's some chance that the rest of the family aren't dead and are out there somewhere mm-hmm. and beginning to uh, to seek them out. Um, Chip Zdarsky uh, is writing it, and he's doing I have to say a tremendously good job. Uh, he is super sharp and super funny, as anybody that's been reading his uh, Peter Parker, mm-hmm. Spectacular Spider-Man knows. Mm. Uh, but he really uh, uh, has a good voice for Ben and Johnny and their interactions. It's a, it's a super fun book. Great. And Jim Chung uh, is is the man. Yep. Uh, he draws the best thing uh, in comics right now, uh, and his torch mm-hmm. is pretty great too. So. Yeah, and Marvel 2 and 1 was one of the first books that came out of the gun when we talked about Legacy. And yep. then it was the first bullet. We... 
we just love the idea. Um, and again, uh, it's it's uh, it's great to see at least half of the Fantastic Four back in action. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, going to another major character, we know that Amadeus Cho is getting rocketed into space. We know he's going that to be... That worked out so well the last time we did yeah, that with Hulk. Yeah. We know he's going to be revisiting Planet Hulk. What can you guys say about previewing a little bit of the return to Planet Hulk arc in Incredible Hulk? Well, there'll be a very special guest star. Oh, Let's yes. Put it that way. yes. Yes. There'll be a very special guest star. Um, it's mayhem. It's 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 Amadeus going back to Zagar, which is every bit as brutal and violent as it was the first time. And um, let's just say he has to run quite a gauntlet, and mm-hmm. there'll be uh, uh, a memorable guest star um, yeah. in the story. Yeah. We're very and excited Am- about this. Amadeus as the Hulk, you know, uh, walking around and being the Hulk for all that that every once in a while, like his control slips a little exactly. bit. He's kind of had a pretty good run of it, mm-hmm. um, and part of that is. Uh, you know, on Earth, there are very few things that can go toe-to-toe or stand nose-to-nose with the Hulk. Mm-hmm. Uh, and on Sakaar, as we saw in the original Planet Hulk story, that's not necessarily the case. Right. They grow them really big yes, on Sakaar. Yes, they Sakaar. do. Something in the water yeah. on Sakaar. So, so, you know, Amadeus is going to have to kind of dig down a little bit deeper, and maybe his, uh, you know, his grip on the Bronco that he's riding that is the right. Hulk is, is not going to be as sure mm. when faced with the kind of situations he's going to be dealing with yeah. on Planet Hulk. Also, who knows what the heck or who the heck he could find yeah, on, who knows on Sakaar. Sure. All right, last quick hit, and that is just simply the intergalactic empire of Wakanda. I'm just going to put it right <laughs> out there on the table, leave it there. Uh, it, you do what you want with it's it. It's very hard for <laughs> us to talk about this, but, you know, ta very quietly and modestly trotted out this idea for a story yeah. at our last retreat. I was there, the, I remember. The room caught fire. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was something to see. It, it was really special, yeah. again, as, as, as one of the world's biggest Black Panther fans. Um, it's, it's insane, and I, 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 think, I, think, I think Kirby would be proud. Oh, the, yeah, the, thing yeah, I, sure. the biggest thing I could say about it is yeah. Jack Kirby would be proud. Yeah, yeah that was the, the other page that flipped the readers out in, yeah. in Baltimore. Like, people were just For like, sure. what? Yeah. What it, it, uh, Dude's got a planet? It's, it was it's good. great. Mm-hmm. I'm excited about it. All right, guys, to wrap things up a little bit, the, uh, the big, one of the biggest events that happens in this, I'm not going to spoil <laughs> it because we don't believe in spoilers on This Week in Marvel. But obviously, <laughs> someone is back. Um, talk to me about the decision to bring this person back. Uh, like, we wanted to keep them off the table long enough, but it's a lot of the stuff you guys have been talking about, about re-embracing the old characters, but well, embracing the new as well. Just talk to me a little bit about this in the in the vaguest possible terms. <laughs> well, this character, male or female, um, <laughs> is someone um, with... with a large amount of fans yep. of great importance in the Marvel Universe has a relationship with virtually everyone in the Marvel Universe yep. and to see them back in action um, and especially with the twist um, that comes with their reveal uh, we just we wanted to just go for broke mm-hmm. you know we, we waited for this moment um, and and here it is. Yeah, and, we, we certainly and, waited longer yeah. than anybody else yeah. in the world thought that we would, and Absolutely. we waited for kind of the right moment. And this felt like this was the right time. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, and it, I was very gratified that, uh, at least until copies of the book started to make their way out this week, mm-hmm. that for the most part, you know, people didn't really guess ahead of time that this is where we were going. Yeah, there were a couple of who are the top 15 characters that Marvel could bring back in Marvel Legacy Mm -hmm. lists, Mm -hmm. 
that the character ended up on. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you cast your net that wide, you're not. Of course. It's not going to be that hard. But that most people didn't see it coming. And boy, Jason Aaron wrote the hell out of that scene. Yeah, he did. Uh, you know, Esad did beautiful Esad work wrote, wrote, as well. Yeah. Like that, 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 that sequence is probably the best sequence in the in the yeah. book. So I'm sorry, people in Baltimore. Those are all the pages you didn't get to read. Those are the pages you didn't get to read. You have to buy it now. And then to wrap up, we find out who the narrator of the book is. And I'm not going to spoil that one either, but I'm going <laughs> to let you guys talk about that because I thought that was super cool. I, I just <laughs> Another, again, it's very, we have to talk around the edges of this, yeah, but, yeah. but again, um, a character or characters mm-hmm. that, um, again, again, occupy a very special place in all of our hearts, especially fans. And um, we want fans to discuss this and yep. wonder about this and what this means, what this portends yeah. for the future. Cool. Guys, I want to thank you for joining us. Is there anything in conclusion you want to say about Marvel Legacy, the one-shot, the initiative, anything? What, what do you want people to know? I think the, the, the takeaway for people and hopefully the Legacy one-shot and the pages at the back that kind of point to all the individual books help to, yes. to get this idea across. The, that tagline that we have, that every series is an event, is absolutely what we're going for. We're trying to make sure, and our creative teams have stepped up in every case, that every story that we're putting out has something crazy nuts going on in mm-hmm. it that you'll want to pay attention to. Yep. So it's a really good time to be a Marvel reader. There's a lot of exciting things coming. Cool. What Tom said. <laughs> cool. Thanks so much, cool. guys. Thank you. Christine Din, joined by editor Eric Goldman, and we have an awesome guest from Marvel Games. Hi, Tim Hernandez here. What are we going to talk about in games? You guys had an exciting week this week. I know, really busy week for us. Um, well, first off, we have Marvel Puzzle Quest launching uh, Rogue, new character. It's been a while since we've had a new X-Men character in that game, so uh, we figured we'd save her for their four-year anniversary, which is coming up, mm-hmm. uh, and and oh debut. Gosh, already uh, four years. Yeah, it's pretty wow. crazy. It's pretty crazy, and I've only been around for uh, for half of that, but uh, it's been a great great run for that game. And they wanted to uh, come big, and they brought Rogue with them. And she's the first of a couple of X-Men characters. They're doing a, a big event, which they'll have more information on soon. But real excited to uh, to get her in the game. She's been really requested uh, by a lot of players for a really long time. She's very iconic, and you know we all love a Southern Belle. Yep, yep. <laughs> and she's got like you know she's got very interesting power sets. <laughs> so is that kind of fun for you guys? Yeah, yeah, it was really fun. I mean, she was a pretty obvious one to be able to to basically steal other people's yeah. powers. Mm-hmm. Fits perfectly with her character. And the characters that have those really unique skill sets are really fun to, to play out and build your team around in Puzzle Quest. So she's going to be good. Awesome. But then the main big news for this week is Lego Marvel Super Heroes 2. Yes, yes. So we released our Inhumans trailer earlier in the week. Uh, recommend you guys all check it out online. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. We've been working on that one with uh, Warner Brothers and TT Games for a while. So we're excited to 
dropped that the same week that uh, Marvels and Humans is appearing mm-hmm. on, on ABC, of course. What a coincidence. <laughs> um, well, but no, we've... We're all like, you know, weak in the knees when it comes to Lego Lockjaw. <laughs> yes, yes. When we revealed Lockjaw uh, earlier this summer, I think he instantly shot up the list as mm-hmm. one of the most popular characters our people are looking forward to playing. So we wanted to expand the roster, make sure we were covering the rest of the royal family. So you mm-hmm. see a little bit of Black Bolt and Medusa and Triton and Crystal, who's really actually similar to Rogue, really awesome in Lego. Yeah. She's got yeah. all the elemental powers, and um, so finding a way to work all those in has been fun with the team at TT Games. Um, and they're fighting Maximus in the trailer, which uh, I think is it's fitting perfect. too. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I have to tell you, I'm personally very excited about this because at my last job, I had to watch every single TV show out there, and that's not literal, but pretty close. So I didn't have much time to play games, I'm afraid. Starting to get back into games, but I did play a lot of Lego Marvel Superheroes. So we hear that so yeah, much, yeah. so much. People just really love that first game, uh, and that's why we really, when we were trying to decide what do we do for for this third Marvel uh, Lego Marvel game, it just was an obvious choice to go back to the to the first game and do a direct sequel to it. And the, the guys at TT Games, I think that's always what they had in mind, uh, but as we started to dig deeper and try and decide what kind of story and what the main villain is, it just kind of flowed from there. And it, it was uh, it's jumping from the la- literally the last scene of, of the first yeah. nice. Lego Marvel game into this, but uh, all new adventure. And it's I think I, the the word epic is overused quite a bit, <laughs> but uh, but I think it's uh, I think quite it's like pr- when you have adequate for this. All like Chronopolis and King. And everything just melding together. Yeah, you have a lot to call upon. Yeah, we really do. <laughs> we really do. And actually, um, perfect timing-wise, we are going to have Lego Marvel Superheroes 2 demoing in the Marvel booth at New York Comic Con next week. So they will be there with uh, plenty of demo stations. We're going to have a first look at a couple of new levels that have not been uh, oh. hands-on demoed before. And, uh, of course, we're going to have a bunch of character reveals and uh, I'm sure some fun surprises from the team there. Mm-hmm. So look out for that. Um, we also have a couple other partners that are at New York Comic Con. We have Kabam with Conscious of Champions. Um, Marvel Puzzle Quest will be there as well. And Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite. So Capcom mm-hmm. will have a booth there to get your hands on a game that just shipped last yes. week. So <laughs> still feeling that. Is, is that pretty cool for you guys when you get to go to these cons and kind of, and for, in some cases, it's like the first time people are getting to get any sort of access to these games. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> with uh, with Lego, for example, it was at E3 when we first debuted yeah. that. Yeah. And I was I was lurking. I was doing a lot of standing <laughs> in the back of the, of, of the demo station yeah. and just saying, well, what are they having a hard time with? What are they really enjoying? Where are they? Are they laughing in all the right bits? I mean, I'm sure it's with anything uh, creative and, and you, you see it released into the wild for the first time. Yeah. People kind of are very curious as, did I hit the right emotional beats there? Did, did that level design work? And uh, I think we've, well, not to be too uh, immodest, but we've hit it out of the park with Lego Marvel Zero too. I think yeah. um, people really love it, and I'm really excited for the new levels that they're going to be able to see uh, at, at Comic-Con, but again, in a, in a month or so when it, when it launches on November 14th. Nice. No, we're rolling up close. Yeah, I know. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Trust me, I know. Yeah, and then I guess lastly for games, we also dropped Pinball FX3. It's on PlayStation 4, Xbox One, Windows 10, and Steam. And, you know, we now have new game modes, which have new challenges and a chance to reach new heights on the leaderboards. Um, I feel like you guys are just constantly nonstop, 
you know, updating all your games, rolling things out, bringing new characters, new challenges. I feel like there's never enough Marvel. That's true. <laughs> I mean, I think that's really what it's about now in, in games. It's the it's the live ops, as we call it. But just keeping content fresh and keeping mm -hmm. people excited to want to come back and, and play. And we have plenty of new stuff and entertainment coming from throughout Marvel. So it's still only natural that we try and weave that into the, to our games, too. So players have plenty to dig into whenever they want. I mean, it's 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 hard to beat pinball as far as a perennial. Is it cool for you guys? You know, because of course you also like to do sort of the complex, you know, different games, but also just get to do pinball. Yeah, it's just a classic. Exactly. No, I love pinball. Actually, when I when I go to the arcades, it's sad because there's there's no more classic flippers. Couple, but there's a couple. They're yeah. hard to find. Yeah. There's a secret pinball arcade in Pasadena. It's like underground and it's only like pinball yep. machines. I have a few friends who go there a lot. Actually. Whoa. Okay. <laughs> yes. I need to hit you guys up for that. <laughs> and I know that there's also the one that's 82 in downtown LA. Oh yeah. yeah. I know that one. There's like the X-Men ones and all that stuff. There's, there's a, a cheapy movie theater I sometimes go to in North Hollywood where they show, you know, like second run movies for like three bucks and they always they have a they always have a pinball machine that they seem to rotate out every six months and they always rotate it out with like a and actually they had the iron man 2 game uh pinball machine <laughs> recently which i'd never seen but then sometimes they'll have like the johnny mnemonic yeah. pinball machine well, my favorite the, was demolition man, demolition man <laughs> yeah. and i played one. demolition man yeah. at a uh, barcade uh in uh i want to say Atlanta, some <laughs> too, too much traveling this year, but yeah. yeah, that's a classic. Yeah, I think the pinball game may have been better than the movie, and I like the movie. <laughs> I actually like that movie. I agree with you, by the way. All right, thanks for stopping by, and we'll definitely update everyone on Marvel.com with everything that is Marvel games related um, at New York Comic Con. And I think if you guys follow at Marvel Games, you will definitely get you know all the hits as it happens. Yeah, and uh, we'll see you all at New York Comic Con if you can make it out there. Welcome. Thanks very much. Thanks. All right, thank you guys. Awesome. And now heading over into the world of film, of course, nonstop Thor Ragnarok. Um, this week we just launched a new featurette behind the scenes with Chris Hemsworth, Taika, and Mark Ruffalo, where they just talk about all the things that they're really excited about, and you get to know more, a little bit more about the story and, you know, what they are their favorite parts were um you know i just these three charming fellas <laughs> so um check it out on our youtube our social but we also have uh an interview with tessa thompson who plays valkyrie and it's just one of our interviews that um is rolling out from our on-set visit at in australia on set last year so you know head over to marvel.com for that uh tess thompson is awesome and she keeps popping up with things i love so it's like you got creed going on yes. and westworld and now she's the fact that she's part of the mcu i think is so cool no, she is just so badass and every time i look at that photo with her on like the pegasus mm -hmm. i'm just like i just how do i how do i become you <laughs> plus <laughs> she was on veronica mars which yes. was an awesome show uh with kristen ritter so there's all sorts of old school marvel oh, connections right. kristen ritter was on the show that's right she came back in the movie too uh, I don't yeah. think Tessa Thompson did, but uh, but yeah, yeah uh, and, he, and Veronica Mars is like an all-time favorite. So I, that's always always remember Tessa Thompson. And then she just started popping up in everything I love the past couple yeah. of years. So. <laughs> and Valkyrie looks so cool. I know Valkyrie is very badass, especially with her armor. And you know, like I'm really excited for people to learn a lot more about her character. Mm -hmm. Same here. Yeah. Now heading over to the world of 
Marvel TV, we have a heavy week, especially as fall TV premiere rolls in. Yeah. Um, the big thing for me this week was Marvel's Runaways. We got a first look at the Runaways as a group, but we also had individual shots of each of the kids. And we also have, you know, a group photo with the Pride. And so definitely check it out on Hulu when it airs November 21st. And yeah. I am these, so psyched. These, <laughs> kids are so charming like they're the best people <laughs> <laughs> um and yeah there's a lot going on as christine said on marvel tv uh because we also have the gifted uh which is debuting very soon next week but you can already watch the first six minutes uh first six minutes of the first episode uh are now online as a sort of special sneak peek you can find that at marvel.com on our youtube channel and uh, gives you a good look at some of the mutants i mean that that sequence involves uh, blink and polaris and thunderbird and eclipse and really kind of you get to see some of their powers in action. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I think people it's, – it's a good way to intrigue people before you can see the whole thing on Monday, October 2nd at 9 o'clock, 8 central on Fox. Uh, and, yeah, I really dig The Gifted. I'm, uh, I've seen uh, a little bit of it, but I'm excited to see more of it. Yeah, and I definitely can't wait for people to watch it because it's just so dynamic. And I think it's – especially going on to Fox, I think, you know, we're in a – People are going to be really excited to see this iteration and uh, seeing what the mutants have to deal with. Yeah, yeah, and there's yeah, there's definitely some sort of like old time favorites. I mean, like I, you know, I I really liked uh, Blink and Polaris are like two characters I really liked growing up and reading. Uh, like, like Polaris was an X Factor, she was awesome, and then Exiles with Blink. Uh, so yeah, there's they and they both get um, you know uh, you know it's it's I think we can see yeah the, the clip even shows that it's like you know. Blink maybe doesn't fully know how to use her powers yet, but Polaris, she's she's already pretty badass. And <laughs> you get to see her unleash uh, quite a bit. Awesome. And then heading over to the world of cute little adorable Marvel Funko Presents, um, we're back with the second season. I know that everyone really loved how adorable everything was uh, the first season, and you guys asked for more. So we kicked things off with Cosmic Sleigh Ride. So there is... A cute Funko Star-Lord and cute Funko Baby Groot as they take on uh, Taserface, who's actually really cute as a Funko. Yeah, Taserface is cute (laughs) in this iteration. Yeah. So um, it's definitely all over our social and our YouTube. Uh, Check it out, and we will have new episodes coming up soon. Wait, there's more. Uh, Marvel's Inhumans is debuting this week. Uh, there is actually a big final trailer out that's sort of, uh, you know, a big uh, sort of epic uh, trailer that shows a lot of stuff in it. And then you can see the show itself. Two-hour premiere premieres on Friday, uh, September. I must have the wrong month. Friday, September 29th on ABC. Awesome. And then lastly, we debuted a, a poster, a teaser poster for Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. You know, um, it's just... So what your appetite mm-hmm. as we wait for season five to roll up. Yep, yep. And, you know, they've done a really good job with the S.H.I.E.L.D. posters through the years of using that logo, that sort of iconic bird-like S.H.I.E.L.D. logo, but changing it up, you know, mm-hmm. in, in dramatic different ways. And obviously there was, like, the flaming version for Ghost Rider. Yeah. And, you know, there, it got Hydra eyes at one point, you know. Uh, but, yeah, so this this is a, a new iteration of the logo that if you saw the uh, season finale – Last year, definitely, you can kind of guess where it's pointing. And, yes. uh, yeah. A, a big uh, – uh, uh, they're boldly going. That's what I'll say for <laughs> <laughs> S.H.I.E.L.D., it looks like, uh, based on this poster. Yes. And um, 
that is it for the world of TV. We'll definitely update you guys as we head into Marvel uh, at New York Comic Con next week. Mm-hmm. We just have a lot more to show you guys for TV. Yep, yep. Um, mm-hmm. Got lots of panels. Yes, panels, <laughs> activations. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you watch us on the Marvel live stream, basically just keep it Marvel all day long. Yeah, we had a, we had a big <laughs> yeah. meeting today going over everything, and it's like, oh, wow, we got a lot of cool stuff. <laughs> We got a lot yes. of cool stuff. Yeah. And then lastly. In the world of theme parks, events, and such, uh, Marvel Day at Sea is uh, fast approaching. And, you know, there's a lot of cool characters that you will be able to interact with if you go on uh, the Disney Cruise Line, on the Disney Magic, um, and Hawkeye. We have a spotlight for this week. He's another character you can meet. He'll be part of sort of the nighttime event. But also, if you're uh, a younger uh passenger you can maybe get some training from hawkeye and you know learn a few things uh so yeah he'll uh, he'll be a part of it too it just sounds like it's 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 kind of like i can only imagine if i was a kid if i was told like you can go on a cruise ship and it'll be just filled with marvel superheroes <laughs> and i'd be like that sounds like the coolest thing ever i'm also like oh archery on a boat like, <laughs> that's not gonna work out look hawkeye is extremely skilled so he'll make it work yeah but me as a kid <laughs> Shooting arrows. I don't think he'll, like, give you a bow and arrow, you know? I'm going to be like, Hawkeye, what what are you here for? Are you going to teach me how to, like, shoot bow and arrows at people? Maybe it'll be, like, um, at one of the Game of Thrones premieres, they had archery, but it was nerf archery. And so, you know, it'll be... I guess if you want to... Not have it. <laughs> right, violent. right. I think Hawkeye will know to, you know, for for that audience. He's because he's not like tangling with Ultron, I don't you know. know. Does Clint know things like that? I think, you know, I think so. You know, <laughs> he's 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 a multifaceted guy, Clint Barton. So he'll be ready. <laughs> All right. So uh, Eric and I will be heading to the East Coast yep. next week. We'll definitely have a lot coming out of the show. Um, we'll actually be in person with the other people on this show. I know. Uh, this will. Well, I can't say this will be my first time now meeting Ben in person because I went to New York you last week. Just did, yeah. You just met <laughs> you know, him. But I was like, I waited a whole year to mm-hmm. finally meet Ben, my boss. <laughs> ben said he never met me in person, but I think he's wrong because <laughs> I have this memory of meeting him once, and I was trying to think where it was, and now I think, and now I'll probably be wrong, but I think it might have been WrestleMania. Uh, <laughs> well, that seems more likely than at a Comic-Con. Yeah, but I, and I wouldn't blame if, – if I'm right about this, I wouldn't blame him for not remembering it because it was literally like – I was like – me and Matt Fowler were walking by like Team Marvel in the press box, and Ryan was the only person I knew. So it was like we had like a, hey, how's it going? And he probably introduced me like three people with a, hey, you know, like one of yeah. those quick moments. But <laughs> now I have to ask Ben, was that where I might have met you? And then I think after – we're back from New York Comic Con. We have the next upcoming Spoon URC. Yep. And Eric made the choice for us this time. I did. I chose Spider-Man, The Death of Gene DeWolf. Uh, a, a dark but cool story that uh, I loved as a kid, which probably says weird things about me as a kid. But. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Strom is texting me articles about uh, people discovering that they had not known that they were friends or more with serial killers because he keeps telling me <laughs> that he was fearful for his life every time we recorded a podcast together. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Once in a while, you'll like tweet something out and I'll be, I'm just so amused because of your uh, distaste for horror movies. So. I don't hate horror movies. I don't like gory movies. Ah, so, but see, it still, it still coincides. I yeah, think, so. it's all the things when it's gory where I'm like, Ugh. but if it's like, 
suspenseful. I think I could handle that. Right. Which is why, like, I would I talk about raw so like passionately, and everyone's all like, "There's something wrong with you." <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, it is a coming of age story, not a horror movie. Mm-hmm. Grossly mislabeled. <laughs> but not gross, because you wouldn't want it to be. No, I mean. The grossest part of the movie Raw was when she ate raw chicken breast, <laughs> not any other part, just the raw chicken breast part. Hmm, hmm. <laughs> interesting. Maybe we'll have to have a viewing party, and I'll try to get you to watch a gory horror movie. Um, I think I'm still traumatized by that one time I watched The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, where the person just pulls out a gun from below, and I was like, oh... Okay. <laughs> and then people on meat hooks. <laughs> there were people on meat hooks. Actually, I'll tell you something funny that because at one point we weren't sure if we were going to New York Comic Con, or actually we didn't know if we were going to New York early in the week. And so I had uh, purchased tickets to a bunch of movies. There was like a festival coming up here, and I realized, oh, I can't go. I have to return a couple of them. So I'm not going to a double feature um, at uh, Beyond Fest of. Uh, Text Chance on Massacre and Night of the Living Dead that Christine would not be caught living dead or dead at. <laughs> I was like, one of our colleagues was all like, hey, did I see you in the arc light watching It? And I was like, absolutely not. No, no. I mean, I'm intrigued by It, but also it was the reason why I have like a permanent fear of clowns. Right. As a kid because that moment when he comes out of the shower drain, I, <laughs> I definitely feel like as a kid, I could not shower with my eyes closed because <laughs> I'm afraid he's going to pop out. Mm, there's a similar moment in one of the Elm Street sequels. Yeah. Um, I also like to blame my mom for my fear of horror movies because when I was little, she showed me Poltergeist when mm-hmm. I was at five. And she was like, I don't know. I didn't know you were scared. And I was like, I'm pretty sure that's why I did not eat leftovers for the longest time <laughs> that, to hate your face. That's really funny you say that, though, because... Uh, my mom is to blame for my love of horror movies. I guess it's just how it hits you, and obviously kids absorb things differently. Because my mom took me to Poltergeist when I was about five, and she took me to a couple others. In fact, she's directly responsible for my love of Freddy, which is funny because she hates Freddy, but she took me to one of the Elm Street sequels, and I loved him. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. We, 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 just, like, just watching the maggots eat the face, I was like, no, I'm not okay. That's a pretty gnarly scene, I will yeah. say. But I, I wanted like, more. No, I'm just so like, I can't eat chicken ever. <laughs> On that note. All right, we are right. back. We're back for Punisher. Welcome back, Frank. A little backstory on this. Please, give it to me. Panagos, before we get into it, as always, good to know uh, the history of the books we're reading. This was a Marvel Knights launch from around the beginning of Marvel Knights. Now, I don't know the exact chronology, but I believe they did Daredevil, Black Panther, Inhumans, and somewhere in there they did a Punisher relaunch. However, that was not this Punisher mm-hmm. relaunch. They did one, I want to say it was written by Michael Golden. Do you remember? That seems right. Yeah. But basically, it reimagined the Punisher as an avenging angel. So he had like he had all the supernatural stuff going on. Um, he was you know hunting down criminals, but overseen by angels, and it was not very well received. You know, and and it was like a butt of many jokes. Yes, um, at the time, and at this. But on the flip side, I think you know, I, I haven't read it. No, I've never read it. I don't think I ever read it because I it had that stigma to it mm-hmm. but i love 
Frankencastle? Yeah, sure. You know, and it, that's like taking a beloved character and flipping it in a way that you wouldn't expect. Absolutely. So I feel like maybe it gets a short shrift. Maybe, maybe we should. Doesn't. Maybe we should give it a chance sometime in the future. Maybe. But what happened was that didn't go so well. So they brought in Garth Ennis, Steve Dillon, and Jimmy Palmiotti and basically said, all right, get back to the Punisher everybody loves. Garth Ennis had his take. He did 12 issues um, under the Marvel Knights imprint with Steve Dillon drawing all of them. And that is what we read today. And this is generally thought of as kind of the quintessential Punisher story. Now, you're a big Punisher fan. So I, I would, dabble in, in Frank Castle. So would you say this is the quintessential Punisher story? Yes and no. Okay. Yes, for if we're talking about like the Marvel Universe, I think this is. I think this is sort of that it's a it's a perfect encapsulation mm-hmm. of the Punisher. You've got him down and dirty, back to basics, him versus the underworld. Yes. Uh there's really great humanity flourishes in here for Mm -hmm. him but not too much because he's you never really get too much he's like that part of him has been burned away right over the years and i think they garth and steve and jimmy do a really great job of touching on that like he's he's not going to become friends with people right at at the most he'll like be like you're okay Mm -hmm. and then that's it yeah and so we get a lot of that I think we. I would also point to all of the Max, yes, the Punisher Max between Garth stuff and Jason Aaron stuff, mm-hmm. as like if you need like Punishery Punisher, mm-hmm. that that's like stick it in your veins. Yeah, absolutely. Good stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, you touched on something that I think is interesting, and, and it's for me. I have not read as much Punisher as you have, but I have recently been reading Punisher Suicide Run, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, which was a '90s story, which is okay. It's got some big John Buscema art. It's pretty cool. Suicide Run, right. Suicide Run is the one where they think he's dead and all the replacements show up. And that's was that before they changed his skin color and he broke out of prison? I believe that was after. I believe Suicide Run is after all that's that. A, that's a difficult yeah, one. Yeah, that's that's not one I... But it does have beautiful Joe Quesada covers on yeah. at least a couple of issues. But what I really... What stands out to me about Welcome Back, Frank, is what you said, is that you can't really get too into... Frank's head as a character it kind of spoils a little like you don't want him doing narration you know or or like deep narration you get some if you get just surface level narration is fine but you don't want him like going on for paragraphs and paragraphs of exposition which means you need to come up with a good cast of characters around him and that's what Garth Ennis does so well oh yeah because no matter what book he does he always has just this band of like lovable losers and weirdos and here it's everywhere i mean because you've got the people in the apartment spacker dave and mr bumpo and joan spacker dave yeah spacker dave's the best yeah um and joan um then you've got detective soap and molly last name i can't pronounce yeah yeah i'm bad with that you got i I was rereading and i was like i can't pronounce this i totally forgot um, spoilers. Um, when we were reading that the first guy he gets partnered up with kills himself. Oh, yeah. Which was like... Uh, Bud Bub, Plug. Bud Plug. And I was just like, Garth, yeah. I love you. It's a, it's a low bar, but it was nice. Yeah, So and this also catches us in time frame. Mm-hmm. So Ennis and Dylan had done Hellblazer. Yep. They had done... They did Hellblazer? They did a I didn't even beautiful know run I knew, of Hellblazer. I knew that Ennis had done Hellblazer. I didn't know Dylan There's was a heartbreaking story they oh, do... Man. 
um, they do with with that character. It's really great. Okay. Um, and now then of course Preacher, their yeah. run on Preacher was something like five and a half six years, and that leads them more or less right to doing Punisher mm-hmm. time frame wise probably somewhere around there. And so they're like, they are probably my all time favorite. Like they're great creative team. They've yeah. they've they're a, they're a cool team in the sense that between this and Preacher, I've never read Hellblazer, but between this and Preacher, they tell two very complete, very in depth stories mm-hmm. of, of varying lengths. Because Punisher is only twelve issues long, yeah. but that's all they need. That's all you need for Punisher. Yeah, yeah. And as I was saying, like I, you have you have people in the apartment building, you have the police, you have the other vigilantes, who I think are great. And it is such a great slow burn. Mm-hmm. Quick hit, yeah, exactly. With the vigilantes because they show up for the fir- the first time they show up is probably like the fifth or the sixth issue, yeah, somewhere in there, somewhere in there, and it's little dribs and drabs yep. over the course of the rest of the story. It's so, it's not even a B plot; it's no. like a C plot, it's, if if even that for for most of the run, and it's yeah. so good. But you really start to care about all these characters. Like I really, I, I definitely got invested in like the cops and wanting to see them succeed even though I wasn't sure how they were going to succeed. And, you know, it's really great when Punisher kind of throws them on. But even the villains are compelling. Um, oh, my that was one. Of, that was one of the things that is always a knock on Punisher is he doesn't have any villains because usually just it's one-and-done guys that he kills. But in this, the Russian is fantastic. Of course, um, memorably brought to life by Kevin Nash in the... Uh, I was waiting to Tom- see how long it would take for us to get In there. the Thomas Jane Punisher movie. So how... Like I, I put the book down mm-hmm. or the my tablet down the other day, and I was like, they took all the elements of this and they turned did. it into a movie. They did. They and it, they took they a, took elements a perfect of it, comic yeah. book and turned it into a movie. I don't want to watch. No, it was not very good. And I feel bad because like there's so many things about it that I should want. The to problem watch. is the problem with the movie, and this is not going to turn into a podcast slagging on the Punisher movie because we have other things to do but I think the problem with that is they graft elements of Welcome Back Frank onto the movie but they don't graft the heart of Welcome Mm. Back Frank they're just like oh if we have the same characters in it it will succeed but it's a very hollow story otherwise well said is is how I would put it because it has the Russian and it has Dave and Bumpo and Joan and all that and they're doing the same things but it just it's it's lacking that. Was that it heart. Miami? Yeah, that really threw it for like, me what too. What is that? It need, Miami. It needs to be in New York. Yeah, like New York is part of the story. And and like there's New York is a character in this, like really deeply, and especially towards the end of the series when Punisher has gone through everything. Mm-hmm. The people in the apartment have been through it with him. He's talked to Joan a bit, and yep. and he says to Joan, you know. You have to get out. The mm-hmm. city is the city is bad. Yeah, and she's like, "Well, why do you stay?" And she's like, "He's like because I love it." Exactly. And whatever. You know, I'm paraphrasing here, but I was no, just like, "Amazing line, so good." Yeah, and like you have all these other elements. You have the elite who fits in a very specific area of New York City. You have the the priest, uh, the faith, I think is what he's called, or the holy, the holy, he calls the, holy, the holy, who's in another area, and you've got. Um, Who's the, the other guy? Uh, Mr. Payback? Yes, Mr. Mr. Payback, who's yeah. down on Wall Street. Like, they're very connected to New York City in certain ways. And yeah. Like, I didn't even think of that, honestly. Yeah. Uh, it, 
it's very it's a very New York story to me. Right. And that's one of the reasons why I love it so much. Yeah, no, definitely. And, you know, it establishes the Punisher as I think, you know, Garth Ennis frequently cites like Westerns and war movies mm-hmm. and stuff that he's really into. And you definitely get Frank as that kind of Clint Eastwood character who kind of rolls into town, makes the wrong things right, um, stands outside the law, as many other cliches as I can come up with. Um but We've got sirens going good. off. It's perfect for a Punisher story. Yeah, we're it, we're recording this in in, New, in, in New the York. Punisher's New York City. Yeah, in the Punisher's New York City. He's cleaned it up for the most part. For the most part, yeah. yeah. He, he I don't think he would recognize yeah. this New York City. Got to shout out Tim Bradstreet on oh, the yeah. beautiful covers. Yeah, yeah. Tim Bradstreet does an amazing job on covers. I always, I like that his skull doesn't really look like a skull. Mm. Like it looks like some sort of monstrous thing. Yeah, it's it's got that weird look. The, yeah, it, it's cool. Yeah, it's yeah. very cool. And then uh, we should talk about Steve Dillon's art a little bit. I like that Steve Dillon. <sighs> Steve Dillon takes the violence and makes it so commonplace. There's something about the way he draws it mm-hmm. that just makes it like Punisher shooting a guy in the head. Like it's not this big dramatic blood flying everywhere. It's literally just like this guy with a goofy look on his face because he just got shot in the head and he falls over. Yeah. And that's all it is. Um, Dylan's just brilliant. Yeah. Oh, I mean, he's a, it's one of those things where to an extent, I think you can look at Steve Dillon in the way some people look at Jack Kirby Mm. in that on its facade, it looks very, uh, there's a lot of simple lines or, or, you know, it looks like a very straightforward storytelling thing. Mm. Um, there, it looks almost simple, Yeah, but it's not at all. No. He's doing incredible things with movement, with facial expressions, with, you know, framing, with the way he just, he puts all the panels, the shot, the page together that he was, he was a master. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no two ways about it. I mean, I'm looking at a page, two pages where it's um, soap and plug, and like all they're doing is talking. Yep. But you know, you start on this one shot, and you go over this beautiful shot of of soap, and you know, like you get the sense of who he is. He's mm-hmm. very inquisitive. In the end, you've got this shot of plug who's mm-hmm. just destroyed and I know. sad. Yeah, it's hard. Oh man. Yeah. Um, yeah, we talked a little bit about the villains. I want to go back to the Russian for a second. Yeah, because, please. Let's talk about the Russian. Man, I forgot how cool the Russian so was. So cool. He's, it's like, it makes me, it bums me out a little it bit. It bums me out that he's a one and done. Yeah, because we had, like, if you look at, like, the Barracuda. Yeah. Or Jigsaw. Yeah. Like, Punisher villains that la- that kept coming back. Those are really the only two. I know. Not a lot. <laughs> uh, but Russian, you know, he great. fits, he fits perfectly into sure. this i think i definitely wish they'd found a way, or garth had found a way to beat him without killing him but i also get what garth was going for you oh, know, yeah. he really wanted to boost frank up and jump you flip past the daredevil team up I would, yeah. which i also love and i like in the in the edition i was reading there's a little letter at the end from garth ennis where he was like gives his pitch i think you can find it oh. not there but a couple more pages those are script pages yeah the vigilante war, basically his original pitch. His the most important thing in Ennis's pitch is the other vigilantes. Like they're the story he's most interested in. Huh. And he said that he doesn't want any superheroes in the story, but he'd understand if they had to do one. And actually, it's interesting. He says he wants to use Nick Fury, which he doesn't do. But I think in Max he did do that later. Correct? 
Was uh, sorry, I was reading in this thing. It's okay. Was Nick Fury in Punisher Max? I feel like he was. He might have been. There were a lot of... I didn't get to read the entirety of yeah, all the rhymes. But, yeah, um, Ennis talks about, like, not really wanting this. He says he'll make it clear it takes place in the Marvel Universe. He takes care of the um, angel stuff very early on and, like... Yep. Very discreetly. It's great. It's yeah. great the way he just, just like cuts it up, done. Yep, brushes it under on. the table, doesn't dwell on it. Um, but he was really interested in like the other vigilantes. And so all this stuff with like Monucci, who we haven't even discussed yet, mm-hmm. and all that stuff, I think that that grew out of having to fill the 12 issues. And it's just, it's, it's brilliant stuff. That page you got open to is just horrifying. It's just so raw. Well, there, you know, part of what I think makes this team and Steve Dillon in particular, Mm -hmm. so good, so effective, is how often they are able to evoke emotion and do cool things without showing everything. There's the, when you first get introduced to the Russian, you've got the Bravo force up on the hill, and they're like, the Russian's down there, we're gonna go get him, he can't take it, you know, and then it's just shots of this cottage where the Russian is holed up yeah. and Bravo Force going in you and the destruction caused within, yeah. you don't see what he does. Yeah. Um, you see the aftermath. Or here, you don't see how Frank, how how the Punisher beats the Russian fully. Right. Uh, well, you do, but you, you see don't see how you see how he incapacitates him. You don't yeah. see how he beats him. Yeah. You don't. You don't see like the last minutes. You get this. There's pieces missing, which makes that more gruesome in mm-hmm. some instances absolutely. than even you know a decapitated head yeah so cool absolutely um the designs i love the designs for the vigilantes they're mm-hmm. so simple but elite's face mask is just so cool yeah. um and i know remember they did the sequel to this when they all when they got back together and they did the punisher war zone uh return of manucci story and I, at that point, I hadn't read this yet, so I read that oh. first. So it was kind of cool to go. I had since read this a few times, but like going back and getting all the pieces, like the elite and the where Montnucci originally comes from and all mm-hmm. that stuff. It's crazy. Yeah, there's the great scenes in the zoo. Mm-hmm. Uh, Absolutely, one Punisher oh, punching God, a yeah. polar bear. That's been immortalized many times yep. over. But then also which you don't get to see much is Punisher dipping a dude into the piranha yep, tank yep. and the like Looney Tunes esque destruction of that guy's body. Yeah. And so he's just bones and, and shoes at the yeah, end. It's amazing. Ah, it's so great. Yeah. This, this, this is a story that I think will always hold up. I think it's just, it's timeless. It's great. The, it's a perfect snapshot of the Punisher. It could be the only Punisher story you read. And you would still get a good sense of the character and like who he is. Yeah, it's not super grimdark, and I think that's part of the point. You've mm-hmm. got the Punisher, who is by his nature so dark, mm-hmm. so like violent and and disturbing, and it's the elements around him that add the Garth and Steve color and stuff. Yeah, add so much flavor, and you've got your emotions. You've got sad moments. You've got happy moments. You've got funny. You've got mm-hmm. like disturbing. It, yeah. it, it does a great job of building around a character who is kind, who can be kind of one note. Yeah. Well, you know? I think something that's interesting to note too is the Punisher, so defined by his origin about losing his wife and kids. But I've always gotten the sense that to Garth, that wasn't really as big a factor as to some other writers. Like in Garth's eyes, this Frank Castle was going to end up as the Punisher no matter what. Mm. Like that's just who he is deep down. And I like that he kind of, he'll, 
as an aside, refer to the fact that his family died, but he never zeroes in on it. And that's, yeah. I haven't, again, I haven't read all his Max work, but from this story, from the follow-up and some other Garth Ennis stuff I've read, and even what Garth Ennis says, like kind of in the intro and the outro, I don't think he, he doesn't care so much about the fact that Punisher lost his wife and kids and he's driven by that. He really is, he's just this force of nature who exists. And I don't know, have you, have you read, um, you read Born? I was just going to yeah, say was, we should reread Born. We should because, reread Born because I feel like that's Garth's statement too on saying like the war kind of made the Punisher more than anything that happened at home made the Punisher. Like he was already, when he was coming back from whatever war he was in. Um, originally it was originally it was Vietnam. Vietnam. I don't know. And if, even up until this point, he mentions he mentions Vietnam. he mentions Vietnam and he's like some know. guy you know was in Afghanistan or yeah. no he was in uh, Desert Storm maybe and he was like. Pfft. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I l- I like him being I like it being Vietnam. I know it probably has slid on our sliding scale sure. of time a little it has bit. To, whatever. But, though. It's kind of yeah. cool that it, it's but it I getting back to the point though. I think the fact that Garth Ennis writes the Punisher, he doesn't focus in on that origin. He just focuses on this is the Punisher. He's always been the Punisher. He's always going to be the Punisher. And that, to me, there's something kind of special about that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's this one page here uh, I was looking for. So after the Punisher's getting, getting messed up pretty badly, he hires this Doctor Who, mm, yeah, like an underworld doctor. And the guy says, uh, you know, he's like, all right, I'm going to have to pull these bullets out of you. Um, and Punisher's like, I don't know, no anesthetic, whatever. Mm. Um, and the guy's like, you know, it's time to start digging. Uh, Punisher's like, hey, I don't need uh, anesthetic. Dig away. The guy's like, yeah. I don't know what keeps you going, mister, but you better pray you have a little of it left. Yeah. And the next page is a full page splash. And Punisher's thoughts, I do. A lifetime's worth. Yep. And it's him, you know, in all these fights and blowing up and his his anger, his vengeance, his yeah. drive. Man, it's so good. It's good stuff. Yeah. I, I, another really, like, great thing I was... I saw while rereading this was the pacing of the story mm-hmm. and how well like they would hit that cliffhanger beat right at the end of an issue yeah. and get you ready for you know what's coming next yeah. you know these just big moments and you're like oh god yeah. and you know we get to read it all in one but you know back in the day it was coming out monthly they did a great job yeah. of that and by the end of it, it's so satisfying. Yeah. Just the way it ends. It, it, there's like three cliffhangers that wrap up perfectly. Like yep. you get the end of what happens with the mob. You get the two, the, you get like all the supporting characters. I, here's what I like. The Punisher can never have a happy ending. He will always be miserable and his life will always suck. And that's how it needs to be. And that's the way he likes it. But I like that Garth Ennis gives literally every other character who's a good guy a happy ending. Yeah. Like they all get to live happily ever after and the Punisher gets to keep on being the Punisher. Yep. And so it goes. Yeah. He's like, maybe I am damned, but I'm not dragging you good people exactly. down with me. Exactly. And that's, that to me, more than anything else, defines Garth Ennis' Punisher. A guy who doesn't want to drag other people down with him and is doing this to try to make things better for everyone else, even though he knows he can never make things better for himself. Yep. Yeah, we talked a little bit about Manucci. Mm. She's great. She's wonderful. Such a like a cool villain. So scary as hell. So scary. You know, her arms and legs get eaten off by polar bears. Make her, makes her even scarier. Yeah, she's intense. Everybody is terror. Her, her entire mob family. Yeah. terrified of her. I love she, the way she talks to her underlings. Oh my gosh, it's just it's the best. Yeah, 
So good. Good. All right. Do we want to get into some questions and comments? Because we got a few. Yeah, um, Don DJ Fanko says, Garth Ennis really was not afraid to make a splash with that very first issue. And it's absolutely true. He really dives in with well, the violence and everything right off the and bat. And you have to remember, they had to. Mm-hmm. You Not only is it, all right, they're part of Marvel Knights, and part of Marvel Knights at a point where it has been, for the most part, wildly successful, except the Punisher, Punisher series that ha- was part of Marvel Knights was not. So they had to come back, to flip come back this big. around, and really make it big and reestablish who the Punisher was. Yeah, they had to open up very big. Yeah. True. I jumped off of Punisher books in the early 90s, so the tongue-in-cheek references to what came before was very helpful. But I always want a reference to Punisher on a rented jet ski. What's that? Punisher on a rented jet ski. I'm assuming it's an early 90s story. Maybe. That Don read. Don, hit us up with uh, more information on this rented jet ski. We are very, uh, very curious. And this gets Frank Castle right. In the first three issues, he burns his way through henchmen, offs members of the crime family, and does so with cunning, planning, and ruthless judgment. He's not a maniacal character. He's a brutal justice soldier. That's a really good point. Yeah. That Punisher is a smart character. Yeah. He's, he's, he's cunning. Cunning was used here. That, that, that's the perfect word for him. He's not just this gun, trigger-happy, crazy guy running around doing stuff. He has a very concise plan, and there's a reason, like, Criminals are so terrified. Of yeah, I mean, he very specifically says, "I'm going to cut through, mm-hmm. you know, all these henchmen to make it easier for myself." You know, like if I kill a bunch of these guys, well, then those guys aren't there. Like it'll, it makes sense. Yeah. He's planning. Yeah, yeah, it's he's, really he's very calculated. Uh, I get the supporting cast and appreciate that Frank exists with a known and unknown cast of relatable characters. Seeing Mister Smith come home to neighbors was a fun series of encounters that offered relief from unrelenting violence. Yeah, absolutely. We talked a lot about that. When I watched Daredevil Season 2, that duct tape revolver setup was a cold calculating move. Never knew it was a comic idea. Yep. So there you go. Yeah, there you go. And it's so good. Mm -hmm. It's like the thing that always gets me, too, is that, you know, here in the story, Punisher pulls a trigger. Mm -hmm. And Frank's like, you know. Daredevil pulls a trigger. uh, Yeah, Daredevil pulls a trigger. And Frank was already ahead of him. Yeah, exactly. uh, You know. Like, I'm not going to let you do that, but yeah. I proved my, I've, I I've proved got a my, mission. I've proved my point. Yeah. Um, at the end of issue four, Manucci is, is revealed to be hashtag still alive. <laughs> let that GLaDOS song play. It's a reference to the popular video game Portal. Oh, Maggie, yeah. Maggie, you know Portal? You're smiling, yeah. Maggie's smiling. Yep. Always good. Uh, I love Manucci getting ready in issue 10 like Darth Vader right down to the scars. And everything. That was a very, I thought about that when I was rereading. I was like, oh man, that is super duper Darth Vader-esque. Yeah, I loved it. Absolutely. Uh, Jesse Delia says, I remember reading this when the Tom Jane mm-hmm. Punisher film came out in 2004. What I remember most about the series was Frank's humor. I can't recall it before the series and the 2004 film really captured to, um... and then there's a note in here. From you was this from you, Maggie? Okay. She didn't pull the image. She just says, "Image with That's Frank." That's more helpful. Yeah, image with Frank pushing someone in front of the subway and referring to it as splatfoo. Yes. There, so there's the moment where you know he's the the killers are hired against him. How he's taking them mm. out. So good. That's I mean. Not, again, not to rag too much on the 2004 movie, but that's another thing that's missing is it doesn't really have that underpinning of humor. Like everything is grim as hell and very serious, especially everything the Punisher does. It helps in this series that there's like there is a sense of really, really like gallows humor, but like oh, yeah. dark, fun stuff. Yes, and, and that is 
Garth Ennis. Yeah, that is Garth Steve Ennis. Dillon Steve stuff, Dillon. so. Um, and then Jesse says, Ellis and Dylan made a great team, but I've only read this series and their other hit Preacher. Any other recommendations? Um, so obviously, uh, all their Punisher stuff. Yeah, the Punisher Warzone uh, series that I mentioned came out in the last 10 years because it came out while we were working here. But that's, it's, I mean, it's a follow-up to the story. It's a direct follow-up to the story. Yeah. Um, and I think um, uh, Steve worked with Jason Aaron. Yep. On Punisher, Punisher Max. Max. That's, that's so definitely doing. check that out. Yeah. Uh, Hellblazer. I know, you know, we don't usually talk about the other stuff, but no. when it comes to Steve Dillon stuff, I'll anything that he drew is great. He did yeah. a lot of Judge Dredd stuff that was cool. I have a bunch of those old yeah. stories. Honestly, anything Garth Ennis has ever written is good. Yeah. I, I, he's, he's one of the most consistent writers out there. He does not put out bad stuff. Yep. Uh, I've really enjoyed a lot of his work, which we could go into um, another time. Yep. Kaven, Kaven B says, I'm so glad you guys chose this. I started it and I can't believe what I've been missing from Psycho Priest to Manucci. I'm obsessed. Yeah, that was a perfect one and done, Kevin. That's all you I need. Love it. All you need. All right, we're going to wrap it up with Penelope Cat saying the new Twimsy RC selection is the first 12 issue Garth Ennis, Steve Dillon Punisher run. A great choice. When this came out, I was a huge Ennis Dillon fan from their work elsewhere. I was less of a Punisher fan, I have to admit. The series had all the humor and violence and nastiness I had appreciated when they did Hellblazer and Preacher together. I will say, hmm. humor, violence, nastiness, and heart. Yeah, you mentioned that's it, what and I about. think, especially when I think it's of Preacher and Hellblazer, oh, for sure. the heart in those books and in the stories that Ennis and Dylan put together is it can be overlooked in the midst of all the craziness and all the, you know, like, oh my God moments, mm-hmm. but there is always that core that is the heart of their stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ennis has a particular skill at writing tough guys with some depth, so Frank is ideally suited for his style. The much-missed Steve Dillon is similarly skilled drawing human-level action and distinctive normal people. Together, they are perfectly suited for a story set in the Marvel Universe that is mostly superhero-free. It was a lot of fun reading the Punisher Daredevil scene after seeing it in the Netflix show. I'd forgotten it was from here. On the other hand, it was a bit poignant seeing the World Trade Center in the background from time to time. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. Oh, wow, this would have been just right yep, before. Right before. Uh, the Punisher is a character I have mixed feelings about. I don't know that justice is always served in the real world, so the fact that Frank delivers justice where the law can't or won't appeals to the part of me that wants to see evil punished. On the other hand, I don't want to see people empowered to try to carry out justice in the real world. That's pretty scary. I think the series addresses this by showing all the other vigilantes and how they come up short compared to the Punisher. Especially in that point, in like the way that the, the three vigilantes, what do they call themselves? Vigilante force? Yeah, something, something like, like that. that. It was just great. Yeah, it's uh, a stupid name. It's so perfect. The way that they can't agree on anything, that all they do is argue and bicker and, and sort of undercut each other about murdering people. Yeah. You know, and it's, they're all wrong. Yeah. Um, all right, where are we? Uh, it makes it clear that while Frank can get away with this, he's not an example that others should follow. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed this run, read it all in one sitting, but I'm just not feeling too articulate today. It's I think you're pretty doing articulate. pretty damn well, Penelope yeah. Cat. Uh, for me, I think the Punisher works best when we don't see too much of him as a human being. Yeah. It helps me keep some distance. If I see too much of him hanging out with friends or whatever, it makes him seem too human, and human means fallible. He's also somewhat vulnerable in the series in that he gets beat up and hurt quite a bit. It amps up the suspense nicely. I appreciate appreciate how we see the people around him react to him, and we get a sense of him as a person throughout that. 
He's not an unknowable cipher, but the less we know about how his brain works, the less chance of seeing flaws in his mission. Yep. Yeah, I think that's well said. It's it, yeah, you that's know, a good way to close. I think most non-vigilante psychopaths can see some flaws yeah, in, no, I, in his I would hope vision. So. Yes, hope we so. would hope. Yeah. But it makes for entertaining stories. Yep, totally. Um, for sure. And that you think it's a story that makes you think a little bit. Yeah. But it can also, I like, this story, the beauty of this story is you can think about it or you can just enjoy it as a big, crazy action scene yeah. that is just nonstop and awesome. Totally. So there you go. Yeah. I was looking to see if where, because there's one point in the, I don't know if it's the first issue or one of the first issues after Punisher has like offed a bunch of dudes and he's, yeah, it's, uh, oh, I thought it was... Yeah, it's it's the end of the first issue. He has just you know killed the the mob dude yep. uh, on the Empire State Building, and he's mm-hmm. looking out oh, over God. the city. And he said, "The caption is welcome back, Frank.' This is New York City. Yeah, just love perfect, that. perfect. Love it. All right, guys. The next Twim URC is going to be from our West Coast friends. Mm-hmm. They have selected Spider-Man: The Death of Gene DeWolf. Mm-hmm. Should be very exciting. They were going to select Runaways, yeah. Volume One. Right. But we realized we did that in episode 117, yes. way back when. So if you guys want um, you know, to hear about the original Runaways series uh, with the show coming on its way, you can go check out that episode. Yep. Um, or if you want to hear Christine and Eric talk about it in Welcome. a future one. Yeah, we'll get them to do it. Let them know. Let them know. Hit them up on the Twitter. Yeah. Yeah, so we have this week, next week is comic-con mm-hmm. we'll figure out how to do it we'll so, make uh, it work yeah i'm sure I've, i have full confidence and then the week after that we'll have those guys do their twin urc yes it week should. after that i may be traveling again at some it's point fine. yeah we'll make it work we always sure. do we always do yeah yeah it's great cool great we did it guys welcome back frank this is marvel your universe <laughs> <laughs>